Hello, and welcome to the Cantina Chatter Podcast. My name is Victoria, and I will be your guide on this adventure through toys, collectibles, and film discussion. Twenty-five years ago, a Steven Spielberg film was unleashed upon the world. It would be a groundbreaking film, not only in terms of its revolutionary use of visual effects, but also its gripping action, heartful story, masterful musical score, and the plethora of merchandise that was released along with it. That film, of course, was Jurassic Park. In 1993, Kenner released a line of Jurassic Park toys to tie in with the movie's release. It was a well-rounded line that featured action figures of the film's characters, dinosaurs in various sizes, vehicles, and a large playset of one of the key locations from the film. Due to the high quality of the products, the accurate scale and interactivity between all of the toys, and the memories made by so many of us who grew up in the 90s, the Kenner Jurassic Park line has gained legendary status in the 25 years since its birth. In 1997, Kenner produced another line of toys for the sequel to the film, The Lost World Jurassic Park. Then, in 2000, Hasbro, who had acquired Kenner in the early 90s, retired the Kenner brand and its operations out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Some of Kenner's toy makers were relocated to the Hasbro headquarters in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. The story goes that the line for 2001's Jurassic Park 3, which had been made on a very short time frame due to numerous factors, chief among them being major changes to the film's story while filming was commencing, was designed by Hasbro employees who were new to Jurassic Park toys. This brought about a change in scale from 4.5 inch figures to 3.25 inch figures. Many of the dinosaurs in the line were scaled down as well, resulting in an unbalanced toy line with far less playability than Kenner's offerings. Between that time and 2015, Hasbro did little with the Jurassic Park license apart from the occasional small run of exclusive toys available at stores such as Toys R Us. Then in 2015, after 14 years, Jurassic World revived the Jurassic Park franchise. While the film was generally well received by the fan community, its release played a pivotal role in bringing together fans from around the world and it revived interest in the Kenner toys of old. Unfortunately, Hasbro's Jurassic World toy line left a lot to be desired. A year later, it was announced that Hasbro was losing the license to the Jurassic franchise. Then, the news broke that Mattel would be taking stewardship of the line. It would be a new beginning for Jurassic Park toys and a complete reinvigoration of the way modern toy lines are made. In 2018, Mattel's Jurassic World line has been an overwhelming success with fans and collectors, sparking a new golden age of Jurassic Park toy collecting. With 25 years of Jurassic Park toy history, I thought it was the right time to highlight this milestone by bringing together three pillars of the Jurassic Park community. In this episode, I am thrilled to welcome Stephen Ray Morris, host of the See Jurassic Right podcast, Chris Pugh of Jurassic Outpost, and longtime YouTube Jurassic Park toy reviewer, Jurassic Collectibles. All right, Stephen Ray Morris, welcome to the cantina. Hi, how's it going? Great, great, great to have you on. Thank you for having me. This is, I'm really excited to 
go off the cuff, as they say. <laughs> yeah, totally. Chris Pugh, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm, you know, I'm excited to talk uh, talk a little bit of everything. Fabulous. And Jurassic Collectibles, welcome back. Hi, Victoria. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. Good to see you all. Yeah, good to see you too. When I was thinking about this episode, I was trying to think of a way to mark the fact that as of this year, Jurassic Park, both in terms of the film and in terms of the merchandise, has been a thing for 25 years. It's quite hard to believe. Um, but as I noted at the opening of the episode, I wanted to talk to some of the outstanding and reputable members of the Jurassic Park film and collecting community. And although there are many wonderful people who do amazing work within this realm, I'm very happy to welcome three absolute pillars of the community to discuss this topic that we all hold so dearly. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you. That's very kind. Yeah, thank you for the kind words there. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Likewise. Right back at you, Victoria. Oh, that's too kind of you. Thank you. I'm sure that most people listening, at least those who follow Jurassic Park News or collect the merchandise, know who you guys are. But for those that don't, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, Steven, I'll begin with you. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, I do a podcast called See Jurassic Right. Um, I'm a podcast producer by day. And uh, just over a year ago, I wanted to make my own Jurassic Park podcast that really focused on... Um, just kind of people's experiences with this franchise and what it meant to them. So that's what, that's what I've been doing for over a year now. And yeah, it's just, it's, you know, as somebody who loved Jurassic Park my whole life, it's been a really fun journey this last year, actually making Jurassic Park, you know, as we got up to Fallen Kingdom and now looking past that, just making Jurassic Park part of my everyday life again, like, like I was when I was a kid. So it's been really nice so far. Very awesome. I'm a huge fan of your show. I love listening to every episode. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Of course. And um, Chris, tell us a little bit about what you do as well. Um, yeah. So I am one of the site runners, for lack of better terminology, at uh, JurassicOutpost.com. Um, and so that that encompasses a whole lot of things. And I do a whole lot of things with Jurassic Park, both um, in the public forefront and uh, sort of behind closed doors. And uh, I, I love the franchise. And uh, I love the toys. And this has just been... It's been a really exciting time to be a fan um, and be very active within the community as it continues to grow and evolve. And you love dinos. And I do love dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. I like dinos. Let's I love this word. Chris likes <laughs> Nice. And uh, Jurassic Collectibles, tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, so I run, uh, own and operate Jurassic Collectibles. It's a YouTube channel. Uh, it's been going since 2009, so nearly in its 10th year. Um, it's uh, all sorts of things, dinosaurs, Jurassic Park collectibles. Uh, it's mainly focused on the original Jurassic Park because that's the one I love the most. And uh, on Twitter, I'm kind of defender of the Jurassic Park realm. Very cool. And uh, yeah, I've been watching your channel for a long time now. And I think you're probably the most well-known Jurassic-related uh, toy channel on YouTube because you're the oldest. And I mean, how many subscribers do you have now? It's something like 60-something thousand. Uh, I need to check. I think uh, last time I checked, I think it was over 70,000, which yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, super um, impressive. Super but yeah, impressive. it's been, been going quite a while. So it's, I think it's, it's had the benefit of time. Longevity has been on its side. So, you know, I think any, anyone who, who has a passion for things like yourself, Victoria, you'll be there in no time. So, um, you know, <laughs> and you guys have massive followings as well. So, yeah, it's not a massive thing. 
I was uh, watching one of your older ones the other day, and I think you were doing maybe a Papa review, and I think you were wearing like the lab coat, like a scientist. <laughs> was I what with the <laughs> with the gloves? Did I have the Wu gloves on? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I might have had the Henry Wu blue gloves. <laughs> Someone sent me those. I was like, oh, I'm going to put those on for review today. So Very yeah. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. So this episode is going to be very informal. Most of the time I take the time to write the episode and plan talking points. This time I didn't do that. I know that this is a subject we are all pretty passionate about. So I thought it would be best to let the conversation speak for itself. I'm sure we'll cover a lot of ground talking about what it means that this line has been around for 25 years and how it has influenced us personally. Um, I guess first, perhaps uh, we should point out um, what it was that got us into collecting Jurassic Park toys, uh, when it began, how we discovered it, etc. Uh, anyone like to go first? Jurassic collectibles, you want to set it off? <laughs> yeah, so I was, uh, let me think, uh, I was about six years old and I think uh, I was watching some uh, morning television show and uh, they had kind of like a TV spot thing in between, a, you know, a reporter talking about it. And it was clips of the main road attack mixed, I think, with the Gallimimus. And they kept on showing the run-up to the trees, but not actually showing the Brachiosaurus. That was the thing they did a lot with Jurassic Park <laughs> um, clips. They never showed the Brachiosaurus, and I was convinced that was a T-Rex. Um, but, yeah, I saw that clip, and I, it blew my mind. I ran out to my parents who were in the kitchen, and I said, I've just seen a, a dinosaur reel on TV. And... Um, yeah, and that's where the, the love affair started. I think it was the fact that what I'd been imagining at school, because actually at the same time I was being taught about dinosaurs at school, and it made the things that I'd been imagining uh, suddenly tangible and, and real on the screen. Um, and yeah, that was where the love affair started, really. And then I had to buy everything I, I could get my hands on. But I mean, um, my parents weren't well off, so it was a case of just getting bits and pieces and what I could get my hands on. Very cool. And I know we all have a very different story about how we came into this. So, um, Chris, what about you? How did you first get introduced to Jurassic Park toys? Um, you know, so it's a little bit shady. It's a little bit not shady. It's a little bit shaky um, because uh, you, my, you know I was yeah. It, it was there was some there was some weird stuff back. No, um, I uh, so I was very young. I was virtually like a baby, not quite, but basically a baby when Jurassic Park came out. Yeah, like a bit, and um, but I grew up with all the toys on the shelves, and um, I, I I always loved dinosaurs, and so I ended up somehow accumulating a lot of the the Jurassic Park toys. I have a very strong memory of just having an affinity towards seeing those toys on uh, store shelves, especially at like Toys R Us. Um, it's a very just sort of visual memory, but um, yeah, I had a lot of them, especially like the big red Rex and everything like that. And as I got a little bit older, I wasn't allowed to watch Jurassic Park. Um, mm -hmm according to my mom, but uh, my grandma uh, snuck me a copy of the VHS, and I uh, fell in love, and uh, yeah, you know, it's been, it's, and I, I grew up with dinosaur books, going to the Carnegie Museum of Natural History, and everything along those lines, and it's just kind of been a, uh, a love affair for the science, and the entertainment, and the toys, and every, like, kind of little faction of it since then. Very cool. Steven, what about you? Well, I feel like it all kind of leads back to I have a I have a photo that I keep trotting out all the time because I I just love it so much. But it's a photo of me when I'm because I was I turned six right before Jurassic Park came out. And that Christmas, I got the visitor center 
I got apparently two Nedrys for some reason, and um, an Alan Grant, Muldoon, Ellie, the Junior Rex, like... I mean, such a such a very I mean, I feel very lucky that I had this bountiful Christmas, that first Christmas after Jurassic Park came out of all these toys. And it's one of those things where I was like, oh, like I was just thinking recently, like maybe I could go back into the attic and reclaim them. But it would almost break my heart because I really beat those toys up. I know the visitor center has been obliterated. There's red paint on the Dilophosaurus figures from going to town. I think I even like took a. a paper clip and like opened the hole in the junior Rex's mouth so I could stuff a figure in it. So I really played the hell out of those original toys. And I think what I remember more, especially as a kid, because, you know, just like what you guys are saying, like seeing the toys on the shelves, like I don't have a clear memory of the original Jurassic toys on the shelves, but I definitely remember being excited about the lost world and almost that being for me almost the bigger thing to anticipate and when i look at my collection of jurassic park stuff i almost have more lost world um, memorabilia overall or more that has survived into adulthood like the uh, the lost world rpg uh book or like or the like lost world serial like i remember being much more embedded in that in that era and anticipation whereas in some ways the magic of Jurassic Park was that like the movie came out and that Christmas I was like all that that all came into my life in kind of one fell swoop Um, but yeah that was really how it started and I mean I loved dinosaurs before but I think all of us like our imagination was captured by those Kenner toys because unlike this kind of solid plastic hunk of dinosaur these just felt more real it was crazy Absolutely. And uh, I remember that Lost World cereal pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it tastes good now. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) I I still eat uh, kids' cereals practically every day, so I'd probably still enjoy it equally. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So for me, uh, I was eight when Jurassic Park came out. Uh, I wasn't really too aware of the toy line at at the time the movie came out. I saw the movie first. Uh, in the theater. I still remember going with my my dad, my uncle, my brother. We went and saw it. And, um, you know, just being absolutely mesmerized and uh, a little bit scared, but, you know, I I loved it. And uh, at that age, I was very much into dinosaur toys, and I had quite a few of them. And I think probably the standard at the time was um, Imperial Dinosaurs. Uh, they were available through Walmart. They were like four or five dollars, and you could easily amass, you know, a nice little collection of dinosaurs. And uh, beyond that, there were a few other ones by different brands. And one of the tr- little traditions that we had back then is uh, my grandmother would take us to these flea markets, and we would go looking for dinosaur toys. And a lot of the time, they were really old dinosaurs, and you know, they didn't look that great, especially you know by <laughs> today's standards. Mm. Um, but there were some that were pretty nice. Occasionally, you'd find like a really nice one, like from a museum. I think I might have one from, uh, actually, I, I forget what museum it is. It might be, uh, it's a UK museum. And I'd have to find the toy to see what it says on the bottom. But it's a really long gray diplodocus. Oh, I have it's that prob- one. It's the Natural History Museum. Yeah, it's by Invicta Plastics. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic. <laughs> that's the one. Love it. And uh, after I saw the film, it must have been a matter of weeks afterward, but I remember being at Target uh, with my mom and my siblings, and uh, I walked into the toy aisle, as you know, I tended to do, because, you know, toys, you're a kid, and um, 
I remember first seeing the end cap. There were all of the uh, series one human action figures. Below that, there were like the the smaller dinosaurs. And then as you walked into the toy aisle, there were the uh, the larger sized dinosaurs on the shelf. Uh, and they had the young T-Rex. I can't quite remember hmm. what else they had. Uh, I don't know if they had like Triceratops or Stegosaurus, but they had the young T-Rex. And the moment I laid my eyes on this, I thought this was like the greatest dinosaur toy I'd ever seen. Um, <laughs> And I think that's one of the the awesome things about this toy line is that it, it there was nothing like it at that point in time. Like I'm like I was saying, I mean the standard was imperial. If you Google imperial dinosaurs, they're not really anything that special. Um, so I begged my mom to buy me this young T Rex. Uh, I said, you know, if you buy it for me, I'll do chores for the, probably the rest of the summer. <laughs> and um, eventually she relented. She uh, she bought it, and uh, I just worked it off by doing chores. Uh, and um, I, it, to this day, I mean, I still have that memory, you know, very near and dear to my heart. But I, I didn't have a ton of the toys at that point in time. Uh, I think by the end of that year, I only had I, I had the Triceratops, the Stegosaurus and the Red Rex. Uh, and I think maybe the electronic Dilophosaurus, too. Ooh. But uh, it, it wasn't so much like the number of, of the toys that I had. It was like the toys themselves, because, uh, again, there was nothing like this up to that point in time. And uh, Christmas morning, I remember waking up, my grandmother came over with, you know, this really big box and uh, I unwrapped it and it was the Red Rex yes. and it was, it was <laughs> absolutely Aww. awesome. And she's standing here on my shelf. I can still see her this very minute. And um, it, it was just one of those, those toys. I think it's, it's, it was a monumental moment in toy making history from mm. any company. And uh, that was how I kind of got into, that was a genesis of my Jurassic Park toy story. Um, and of course, it kind of went on from there as more movies came out. Mm. But uh, that's definitely where the very beginning of it all was. Did Did any of you have those the Diner Riders toys? Yeah, yeah. I was. <laughs> they were great. I love their little beady eyes. I was I was so surprised because I you made me think about how you're like how these Jurassic Park toys were so kind of revolutionary at the time from what I remember of the skin and everything and so I went on I recently was like oh I wonder what like a dino rider toy costs and then I looked on eBay and I was like wait a minute these are just your standard plastic dinosaurs with with um you know with all the accoutrement of the lasers and the the yeah. stuff I mean they're cool but I just feel like as far as collecting dinosaurs go, I feel like, you know, like we've been saying that like Kenner kind of changed the game and I don't, I don't feel like I could go back to something like that. Yeah. If it's not Jurassic Park, it's, it's extinct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a golden period in that they, it was, it was almost like there was a drought of dinosaur toys. Like in the, Michael Crichton often talks about the fact that he was thinking about making Jurassic Park and he noticed that dinosaurs were really popular. And then he left it for a year and he noticed that dinosaurs were still really popular, if not more so. And it seemed like no one was really capitalizing on the toy market or the merchandise market for dinosaurs. And there were, you know, there were 90s Sanrio dinosaur print stuff. And, you know, some of that turns up in Jurassic Park. But there wasn't really a known dinosaur toy since Dino Riders, which was kind of mid 80s mid to late 80s and then when you went into the 90s it kind of ran out there wasn't really so there was like this real drought of dinosaur toys when jurassic park came along so it really capitalized and hit home with mm -hmm. with its toy line absolutely i had some of those dino riders too i think we had picked them up at the flea market so they didn't have like the 
like the human figures or any of the gear on them or anything. But once he popped the batteries in there, they would still walk and all that. So that was pretty fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I, I won't lie. I've actually never had a Dino Riders toy. They were, um, they, they, I mean, I, cause I just kind of, I grew up right into Jurassic Park. So even when the film wasn't in theaters um, and I was getting a little bit older, there were still, you know, Series 2 toys left on the shelves in the lead right. up to The Lost World. Nice. So, like, I always had Jurassic Park toys to kind of, you know, fill that dinosaur toy void. And then, I guess, like, the Carnegie Collection from the Carnegie Museum, which is not really toys, but, you know, sort of just those <laughs> plastic types of, you know, museum dinosaur toys. Yeah. Without but uh, th- those okay. two those two areas filled the... Uh, they have been the only types of dinosaur toys I ever bought, except for when Jurassic Park 3 kind of saw that drought in, uh, what was it, uh... Dino Quest or Dino Valley, uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of tried to do what they're doing, but sort of in a janky way. Uh, that was sort of my one, my one non-Jurassic Park venture. Yeah, so you didn't have to suffer through Imperial dinosaurs or any of no, but I'm familiar. Prints. I'm familiar with all of these things. To be entirely honest, I mean, I've, I've looked, I've tried to kind of figure out the history of uh, dinosaur toys and what made Jurassic Park so special. I mean, looking at it, you immediately understand what made it so special with the toys. But I was very curious mm-hmm. on exactly how other lines shaped up to it before it. Because, yeah. I mean, we look at it now, nothing's even followed it. Um, nothing. Nothing has followed I, it, which is absurd. But um, yeah. it also, nothing kind of led into it. It's, there was, there's, no one's ever hit the market for good dinosaur toys other than Jurassic Park, really. So I have quite a few of those Tycho dinosaurs, the Dino Riders, and they they were re-released into the 90s as like standalone figures without the lasers and stuff. They were taken up by quite a few museums and rebranded in boxes. And I remember they turned up in a big news agent that we come supermarket thing that we have in the UK. They sold them, and I bought some in the 90s that were kind of. And now I realise they were Dino Riders. But Dino Riders did have a lot of the same features that Jurassic Park toys have mm-hmm. in terms of their working features. Um, they were, I wouldn't be surprised, the inspiration for some of Kenner's toys. Um, like Especially the push-button stuff, where you push a button and it has a feature. That was in the Dino Riders line. Um, so I think actually Kenner were inspired by those in terms of looking at what's on the market at the moment. Oh, this is kind of cool. Let's add that. Oh, for um, sure. For play patterns, I think they absolutely looked at Dino Riders. Dino Riders definitely yeah. kind of, it definitely feels like the stepping stone for the play patterns of the Jurassic exactly. toys. Exactly. I suppose yeah. I meant more of just the fluidity and lifelikeness. Oh, of yeah. The toys, without so that real. sort of ultra retro, like, you know, they're not <laughs> yeah. super retro look, looking. They look, yeah. even now, Jurassic Park toys look modern. You know, it doesn't, you know, debates about feathers aside and whatnot, they still look like modern representations of dinosaurs um, yes. overall. Yeah. Sure. Um, they're, they're very timeless. They're very well made. That's why it's, um, I was reading that article about how in maybe Victoria or, you know, at like the, the idea that the Mattel toys are selling better than possibly the Star Wars toys now, I think says a lot to how we're all talking about that. They're they're that w- there was this weird void with gira- with dinosaur toys. Like people still want dinosaurs and, and the idea, I mean, maybe that's why Universal was so disappointed in Hasbro's last attempt at dinosaur toys, because it it seems like it's, I mean, it's been so exciting. And I think I was talking to Victoria about this just before the podcast of like, 
I never thought I would get dinosaur toys as much as I have. I definitely didn't. I was like, oh, maybe I'll grab the Carnotaurus from the Fallen Kingdom line or something. But I, I look like looking behind me, I have a shelf of like pretty much all the basic figures and a lot of the raw. Like, I just definitely think I wouldn't be as active as collecting with these toys as I as I am. It's very strange. I suspected you would because I'm I'm having flashbacks to um as the leaks started to come out and you and I just message each other images back and forth information <laughs> and just like that constant urge, that constant desire to learn more oh. about the line. I think it had most people hooked as soon as uh, as soon as those floodgates of rumors and images kind of opened up. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and then plus you could learn a little bit about the movie. Like, oh, is the Carnotaurus actually in the movie? Does it look like the toy? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I don't know. For me... Uh, I actually kind of enjoy that more than the movie, um, the, the whole kind of whole experience. I mean, I guess it depends on the movie. But uh, in this case, I definitely enjoyed it more than the movie. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, Mattel might have outshone the film in terms of what they've done as a feat. In, in my opinion, Mattel raised the like the, the bar for quality up like quite a few levels, while the film lowered the bar of quality <laughs> to a whole new <laughs> low. But, you know... That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, I think in, in I think that's in some ways, you know, films are more than just films. And what people are gonna remember, I think, almost more from as much as I as I personally enjoyed Fallen Kingdom, I think the thing that really blew people away what Mattel was you know, was the thing that blew people away in this in this instance. I think people will remember the toys from this because it, it just seems like, you know, I listened to your interview, Victoria, with Brit shots who you know is their brand manager and it just seems like they are going ham on this like they're they are going to take over the toy market with these dinosaur toys regardless of whatever film it's attached to sure sure dinosaurs are timeless like you don't need a dinosaur film for toys to sell like kids uh kids of all ages love dinosaurs um Mm. so if there's in i mean you look there's always been generic dinosaur toys on the shelves normally they're not that great a quality but what I think is really interesting is price-wise, the Mattel toys are, are completely out of their league in terms of quality, but they're the same price as all the generic dinosaur toys on the shelves. Yeah. So there's yeah. really no reason why these toy, this toy line couldn't be you know, everlasting and evergreen on the shelves at all times, whether or not there's a movie or not. Just Jurassic should become synonymous with dinosaur toys. If a kid wants a dinosaur yeah. toy, you should go looking for Jurassic. Now... The problem is convincing retailers of that. And retailers are a little bit wary because uh, they've heard a lot of promises over the years. For a long time, they keep hearing about how next year will be different, how the brand will be not just a toy line, but supported by um, external media sustained programs. And then they always fall flat. So right now, Jurassic Park has a really big kind of battle to fight um, in Mattel's hands because retailers just have heard it long before Mattel had the license. Um, they've just kind of heard it, and they've gone... They've grown weary. They believe Jurassic Park is a... Um, is sort of a anchor of... Uh, of quality drop and kind of pig warming. Mm. And it's kind of got to... You have to convince those retailers otherwise. It, it, it's a battle that Mattel's going to have to face, for I sure. Mean, you've got to think that The Last Jedi came before Fallen Kingdom. You know, the promises with that were really high and then for Mattel to come along and say hey we've got the same thing different franchise you can see why the retailers would be like well 
okay, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I mean, absolutely, but it's even been before that when Hasbro had the license. There, there were always a lot of times that Hasbro would kind of net a retailer into an exclusive contract um, to carry a line or, or whatnot, and then the toy line would get canceled after the retailer already planned around it. So yeah. they would kind of have the uh, the carpet pulled out from underneath them in terms of that. So on top of that, when Hasbro finally started pumping out items, the quality dropped, so they didn't have as much of an appeal. But the mm-hmm. other thing is, is Universal was promising things like um, cartoons, um, right. comics, spinoffs, right. video games. And they're saying, oh, people will want to buy these toys, and they will have Jurassic Park on their mind because the brand is being sustained through these programs. And every year, and it's still happening right now, <laughs> these things would be canceled. And they go, yeah. oh, but next year we promise you it's going to be different. And then next year comes, and they're like, well, so this thing, you know, it wasn't really, but next year will be different. And then next thing you know, you're on the next film, and you still yeah. don't really have a massive sustained <laughs> program. Yeah, we've, sure. got, we've got three years to go. Uh, <laughs> dude, but the way time flies, uh, God, I kind of want time to go a little bit more slowly right now, yeah. um, to be honest. Yeah. And then even with lines like Star Wars that have been around for over 40 years, they're still, you know, constantly trying to, to get things right. They're still trying to say, to do market research and see, you know, what lines are clicking with people, which are not, what's selling through, what's not. So it, it's probably just going to be an ongoing thing, I'd assume, uh, even with Jurassic, where they're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. But I think the fact that the toys are selling out pretty much everywhere is, you know, at very least is a really good sign for retail. Absolutely. Market research, though, it can it can kind of be an Achilles heel um, if you come to focus group and play testing and um, mainly to just kind of research because it's a lot of time a self-fulfilling prophecy where as they want to do something but they're told to do it a different way and then the way that they were told to do it is the only way they do it and then the research kind of says, well, see, look, it worked pretty well. Sure. <laughs> the other issue is that's sort of like actually what ended up hurting the uh, Jurassic Park 3 toys and onward is uh, they saw kids playing with it. Uh, T-Rex and Velociraptor toy at their own sizes, so a small Velociraptor and a T-Rex. And they saw kids making the Velociraptor win the battle. So <laughs> they took the imagination out of it, and they said, well, we should just make all the dinosaurs the same size, because that's clearly the way kids want to play. And they took the imagination out of the play. Uh, they looked at mm. it in terms of raw metrics, and they really kind of forgot about the whole imaginative play side of entertainment and just generally speaking, like what imagination can do. Um, and that's sort of like what started the downward spiral is this market research and a weird misinterpretation of the data that they were receiving. Yeah, that sure. that feels very strange to me because in, in, I, I wonder if you guys all have similar experiences or like, because this is just making me think of like, oh, well, what did I do with my Jurassic Park toys as a kid? And I felt like for me, especially with that first movie and even after Lost World, it's funny, even after Lost World, you think you'd have more options of like what you would play with because it's like, oh, this island, you know, Isla Sorna doesn't have a park. But I feel like my thing that I did as a kid, and especially because just having the visitor center, I would always, I remember like going into like this office that my mom had before our grandma moved in. It was this empty room, and I set up my own Jurassic Park. Sure, I included some Power Ranger toys, maybe some Star Wars toys, but <laughs> it was a it was a living, breathing Jurassic Park. And I brought in branches and plants and stuff from outside, and setting up the cages and everything. And then, of course, it all goes to chaos. But there there was something about for me that first movie, 
as a kid, like I always wanted to recreate that as a kid. That was always the story in my imagination when I would take all my toys and then have the Ford Explorer and the Jeep, you know, the Jeep Wrangler and stuff. And like, what was like, I'm just thinking now, like, what did you guys, how did you guys play with your toys as a kid? Cause like, I definitely didn't keep mine in the box or anything. Like I was, they were all, and then it would just end up in a big pile and everybody's, I guess <laughs> yeah. everybody's dead. But yeah, very, I definitely played with it in a similar way. It was always about, um, trying to sustain sustain tranquility then <laughs> things would kind of break out and things would kind of get a little bit chaotic and then <laughs> it would be cap- capture contain and then eventually that just wouldn't go well and it would be survive <laughs> that's cool um, those are sort of the themes of i think if i had to sum it up with buzzwords and whatnot i think those would be the themes of the way i played but capturing and sustaining and um containing were some of like the major major themes of like you know capturing these animals there were you know and plus there were a lot of bad guy people trying to capture the dinosaurs and sometimes you know a lot of times when i played the dinosaurs were the ones kind of being victimized but then there were the occasional humans that you know were the victims as well that you wanted them to win Mm. And sometimes just I looked at a scenario while playing with the toys. And I'm like, well, there's just no way this guy is going to get out of it alive. I wanted him to live. He's my main <laughs> character. But I just messed up and I just put him in an unwinnable situation. So he's dead. <laughs> nice. Yeah, mine was kind of playing in the back garden. And I, I don't know, for me, Jurassic Park was the appeal of fear. I think it was the first time that it introduced me to the idea of fearing something that was kind of wasn't real before I met it in a film. And that was really cool to me. So I was quite often chasing down guys in the garden. And, you know, that would be my imaginary expanded universe for Jurassic Park, where people were being hunted down. And that was the main thing that people were in danger. You know, they'd drive along in the jungle explorer and then the T-Rex would come out of nowhere and would be tearing them to shreds. And I remember Muldoon's head fell off. So uh, I um, I painted the stump of the head red and put some red in his neck. And I was like, yeah, this is great. Now he's got dino damage too. And um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, was, that, I, was, that was it for me. That was the appeal of Jurassic Park was the fear factor. I love that about the raptors and the T-Rex. It, okay, so this is going to be really funny. But um, with my Triceratops, my real field Triceratops from the first Jurassic Park, is, uh, yeah, I painted inside of its wound red. Um, you know, to really nice. make it bloody and everything like that to play around with it. But then what happened is the heroes came in and they 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 got her, and I had a um, and so they went into surgery with her, and I had a <laughs> silver starfish. So then I repainted her bone part. Um, uh, I rep- like I painted bones like in silver to make them look metallic. Like basically, nice. they replaced her missing pieces that got bitten <laughs> off, but with like like manufactured pieces and they saved her. It wasn't like a, it wasn't meant to be like a biomechanical dinosaur, but it was meant to be like, so like to this day, like my Triceratops, the one has like all this sloppy red sort of paint around the wound, (laughs) but then like painted silver, like metallic bones inside of it, because that's how the human saved her after her, her, uh, I think, I think it was the young T-Rex that uh, Mm. got, got her. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, for me, I was kind of a weird kid. Like, I think by age eight, I wasn't really playing with my toys a whole lot. Like, even the Jurassic toys, uh, I would unbox them and I'd kind of, you know, look at them a little bit. But I I kept the boxes and I still have them. And then I just put them back in the boxes and put them on the shelf and admire them from afar. And um, but leading up to that, uh, the years right preceding that, I was really into dinosaur toys and 
uh, a company called Dynamation. I'm sure you all are familiar with it. They mm. manufactured the, these robotic dinosaurs, and they would go on tour. They would they would show them off in museums and in zoos. I think I went to SeaWorld, and they had them there once. And uh, they would do a thing at the local zoo where I grew up in a small town in Texas called uh, Dinosaur Safari. And uh, one of the local restaurant chains, uh, Whataburger, they would do a uh, like a promotion. They would have like these little coins that would come with each of the kids' meals and such, and T-shirts. And uh, I always look forward to this because they did it for several years in a row, and it was like one of the biggest, like most exciting things I could possibly do. Um, so you'd go into this really big building at the zoo, and they were all indoors. And you would just go to different. You would jump from exhibit to exhibit, like in a straight. It, would, it was kind of a loop. You could go to one dinosaur, then onto the next, and onto the next. And they had them all laid out like this. It was like Stegosaurus, Brontosaurus, Triceratops, T-Rex, and so on. And I was really mesmerized by that. And when I would go home, I would gather all my dinosaurs, and I would go into our, the dining room table, and I would stand each of these dinosaurs up in a circle and you know call it Dinosaur Safari. <sighs> and uh, similarly, I think somebody mentioned bringing in plants. I would do the same thing. I would bring in... Uh, I think they were mostly like my mom's indoor plants, but I would bring them onto the table. And then I would call my mom and I'd say, hey, you ready to go on dinosaur safari? And then I'd take her on the little tour to see all the dinosaurs Ooh. in their uh, very unnatural habitats. <laughs> but, um, I, I, you know, the one thing I do want to mention is I think that's one of the things about that first film is that although you do see the dinosaurs a good bit, um, it, it is done with restraint. You're not constantly seeing them. I feel like you are in Jurassic World or in Fallen Kingdom. And I think that's one of the things about that original film that really helps to spark your imagination. Imagine what else is going on on the island. Yeah. Um, because you see that in, in the film, you only see it like something like five species. But you wonder as a kid, like, well, you know, there's toys also of, of these other dinosaurs. There's a Stegosaurus. There's a Pachycephalosaurus. Like, they got to be somewhere on the island as well. And uh, I think back then it was a little bit different in terms of, you know, being able to fill in the gaps using your imagination and using the toys as a, a supplement to do that. Because uh, nowadays the films, of course, are very different. The toys are very different. And uh, what with YouTube and tablets and, you know, even kids just being glued to their devices, I think that that's uh, times have changed a lot, a lot. And I think that maybe in a way that the imagine the ability to use your imagination back then in that way has kind of been lost on us a little bit. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely think so. And you kind of, you do feel the effects of that with, um, you know, smart toys and everything trying to find a way to, um, trying to find a way to capture that market and play it into physical toy play. Uh, like the Jurassic world facts app, facts app, um, where you can scan the foot <laughs> and, uh, get a fact about the dinosaur. However, I do feel like that needed a little bit more, um, a little bit more love, some sort of play Market. factor to go along with it, or something yeah. to do with sure. it. I mean, it was that you know. I mean, we obviously know about it and stuff like that, but I guess you know, to that point, it's like I'm curious, like, are kids using that? Because that does sound really cool, and I feel like as a kid, like, I could see myself doing that. You know, you think of like I'm trying to think of a friend of mine recently just found like a speak and spell type of device, but it has like all these dinosaurs on it. And it's like, I wonder if there could have been an equivalent like that in the 90s. But yeah, our ki- like, I guess I'm curious, like are kids doing that with the their their Fallen Kingdom toys? Are they scanning them in and doing that? I think they are. If I do a video reviewing one of these toys and I forget to put that in there, I'll get like 10 comments asking, well, where's the scan code? Where's the scan code? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I think they are. That's cool. That's great to hear. <laughs> I just wish it had some sort of play factor or some sort of 
something that you can do then once you have the dinosaur in the app, I wish then it allowed you to do something else uh, beyond yeah. finding out facts about the dinosaur. I wish there was one like one deeper level of play that can kind of like because I really don't have much of a reason to scan them in. On top of that, I think the other thing that kind of lost me is um a lot of the dinosaur three D models in the app, the app the game itself they um they don't look like the toy. They don't look like the toy, nor do they look like the film. So, you know, like the T-Rex is kind of like, meh. It's sort of like greenish. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, just so I sort of like, I didn't feel like I had like living, breathing versions of the toys. So it's sort of, it has kind of lost me. Um, but I do think it's a genius idea, and I would love to see it um, evolved upon and taken a step further, especially for kids. Absolutely. It does feel like there's a separation currently between uh, technology and physical merchandise that is always like um, it's either one thing or the other is dominant. You know, it's either it's a it's a it's a game that's been developed and is going to be really big, and maybe it comes with a little figure that isn't really important but drives some <laughs> part of the game, or you have a, a really cool toy, and then you have this app that's kind of tagged on that isn't really developed. What really needs to happen is this kind of synergy between the toy mm -hmm. manufacturer and a game, or some kind of I don't know Tamagotchi or whatever they end up doing. <laughs> but some kind of thing that actually makes the digital version of this toy valuable to a kid. Well, absolutely. I think the best example would be what uh, Spyro Skylanders, I think, kind of paved the way for. And then yeah. like, with, the with Nintendo Amiibo. But um, the, the best way to do it is have every core action figure, like the real regular action figures, like they're not built for this game. But uh, no. have them sort of be able to play into an actual game that has like a lot of playability and um, a lot of really unique features that like people want to play the game itself. It's not yeah. just a little added extra for the fact that you bought the toy. Um, yeah. I think that would be a really great uh, expansion. I mean, I would love to see even like Jurassic World Alive somehow use these scan codes from yeah. new toys. Uh, or another. I think that, I don't know. I think that there's a market there just waiting to be tapped that. It's not the toys aren't built to just be like little cute statues for, to be scanned into a video game. Do you know what'd be the really toys cool? Can be scanned into a video game. Go on. Do you know? Do you know? It'd be really cool as if they um, actually had it so that you can go back and use legacy toys and maybe scan some part of an identifying feature of that toy or the whole toy, and then you can have access to like Easter egg style creatures and characters. So you can go back and take the electronic velociraptor from jurassic park scan the jp logo on the side of its leg <sighs> and that'll give you a, a a raptor like that in the game and obviously you'll have a raptor with the new toy but they've kind of gone to that sort of level of of easter eggness you know thinking about oh what would be really cool what would be really cool for jurassic park fans and for kids you know or like going to a car boot sale and finding an old toy and going actually yeah this is valuable digitally to me now that would be cool or even like um, you know, you can scan the dinosaurs in, but then maybe you know the game would then have like stats for them, and it's like okay, I want my uh, my Dilophosaurus to fight my yeah. kind of yellow five pack Velociraptor with red eyes, and then you just, it's not really a, a game so much as like you watch a three D animatic, and the game kind of like figures out their stats, and it gives you a little three D animatic of them fighting, and one of them becomes victorious. And it would yeah, just be kind of cool because cool. then you can have like these little living, breathing moments where these toys are brought to life and able to bring the same type of playability that kids are playing with these toys, but like with a lifelike look to it. 
I think that would be yeah. almost interesting. And maybe it's not always the same way. Maybe sometimes the Dilophosaurus would win, sometimes the Velociraptor <laughs> would win. Yeah, I think that yeah. there's just there 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 is potential there for some really really cool exploration, and I think Jurassic really offers uh, a very unique expansion upon that concept. Well, it's it's it, it, it's to the point of you know we're all thinking about how do we play with these toys. It was interesting. I just did, and it's you know just coming off of the digital realm. I did the VR experience. Uh, the the Fallen Kingdom um, VR experience at Dave and Buster's, and it was just such it was a, such a funny experience because it's like, you know, we think of the dino, we think of the Jurassic Park games that we've played, and so much of it is this like kind of false notion. It's like, oh, you're tranquilizing them as you're like blowing them away, <laughs> like these <laughs> it, like feathers are flying everywhere from like the Archaeopteryxes or like the, I'm thinking of the the latest arcade game where you're just like mowing down hordes of Dilophosaurus and Velociraptors. And I thought it was very interesting, the VR experience, which is a little more highbrow where it's like, Oh no, you're scanning the dinosaurs in, but it's still this, we're all, we're all kind of thinking about like, what are the play features, you know, uh, you know, as we go from physical to real and it's like, there is this sort of weird element of Jurassic park where it's like, well, we love the dinosaurs as like a bird watching kind of element in a way, but then there's the part of us that's a kid and it's like, Oh yeah. Like, like fallen kingdom where it's like, Oh, we just want to see two dinosaurs fight. It's Carnotaurus versus the Sinoceratops. Or like that stuff to me is like being a kid where you're like, Oh, I don't care. You know, or like I'm thinking of, you know, Jurassic park three, like grants like, Oh, well no, that the carnivore wouldn't, or the sort of the herbivore wouldn't eat the carn. Like, I don't know. It's like, how do you translate how we play with the toys realistically versus like what the messages of Jurassic or whatever, you know? Well, I quite, you know, no, go on. What are you going to say? Well, I was going to say that's a really unique dilemma. And I think that we've seen the modern film struggle with it is they want to bring a child's imagination to life. But the thing is, is those original films, they were just, they were made to be a movie first and foremost, and not necessarily built on our pre preconceived notations of like kind of the way that we want the films to go. And yet it's still absolutely engaged with our imagination as children and it completely connected with us. And I do think it's interesting because, yeah, you know, we like to, see, you know, especially kids, you know, you want that Velociraptor to fight the T-Rex and then the Carnotaurus charges in. But I don't necessarily think that that makes for good film. And I also don't think that um, the films suffer as long as they're well made. I think that uh, a lot of times there's a... a <sighs> A lack of faith in the audience and a lack of faith in just the connection that uh, kids particularly have to a film. Um, it's oftentimes it's been simplified, and there hasn't necessarily been a movie made just to be a movie anymore. It seems to be a lot about the explosions and you know the dinosaur fights. And I think there are organic ways to include it, and I think in the past that they, those were more naturally achieved. And I don't think that uh, Fallen Kingdom particularly, I don't think that it hit the, those marks at all. But it's interesting because Fallen Kingdom definitely is the way I played with my toys. But even as a kid, that's not the movie that I would want to see because I saw Jurassic Park 3 as a kid, and I did not like that movie as a kid. Yeah, it um, becomes fan fiction, essentially. Exactly. Even And I and I don't watch a movie with like a checklist. I'm like, oh, it's doing this. I like it. Now it's doing this. I don't like it. I watch a movie. I leave the movie. And whether or not I liked it or not, I then try to figure out afterwards why I liked it or not. It's not like I'm going in saying, oh, these dinosaurs are fighting. This is silly. It's just, it, if it emotionally connects with me, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but it's always 
same even as a child i've just only been able to vocalize it better as i became older yeah i just wanted to go back quickly to what stephen was saying about um the sort of uh natural history of the dinosaurs and being interested in the in the sort of the history of the dinosaur because i remember when you watch jurassic park you're learning stuff about the dinosaurs that's new <laughs> so like i and you know it's fictional but i remember learning about dinosaurs as a kid and being fascinated by every aspect of the dinosaur and now you're learning that the dilophosaur can spit and has venom and you're like oh that's cool you know that's even though that's made up and i know that's not real that's a cool idea so what you could do with the advent of vr is as things get better you could have a sort of scan thing with a toy and it takes you on a partial tour and educates you about mm -hmm. that dinosaur in that universe Ooh. um in a way that kind of like makes them more appealing and then kind of builds up a faux universe that could be used in games in you know, an animation, it could be all, all sorts of things, but I just think it'd be cool to kind of maybe play on that. What I always liked is the, is the secret natural history of the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that's less prominent in these new films. They um, don't say the name of a single new dinosaur in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, like compies, you know, they're, a, they're, they're scavengers, but then they attack Dieter Stark. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're, you're learning stuff about these dinosaurs that's cool, and that's half of what made Jurassic Park cool, and is the fact that it, you had these identities of the dinosaurs that were quite clear. And if you dig deep enough, then you start to learn, oh, is it possible that the compies have some sort of venom that allowed them to immobilize Dieter Stark? <laughs> yeah, the exactly. way that is present, yeah, and you learn that that the novels. present in the novels, and then yeah. some of the expanded fiction. And then you start reading about it, and you hear that, oh, there were versions of the Lost World that mentioned that they were venomous. Interesting. And it, exactly. it, it, starts, it really adds to this lore. Um, there's a lot of thought put into the characteristics of the dinosaurs, and they translated to toys as well, um, and play, playability. And I, I, I would love to see that return to these series mm. well yeah it's, definitely it's it's i mean i think myself as a kid i think we were talking about earlier about how the the you know jurassic park only had a certain amount of species and so it was exciting to get toys that weren't from the movie and then it just made you want to see them in the movie and so yeah i think if anything the mattel line is really good at that with with you know, including a bunch of new toys and new dinosaurs that aren't in any of the movies or even fulfilling the, uh, fulfilling that dream of seeing, uh, you know, the fact that we have a Metricanthosaurus toy. It's just yes. kind of, it, even though it's kind of, by the way, it, it, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's kind of, it's such a funky looking dinosaur that I just can't help but love it. And it's almost, and it's just so cool in some ways that that is something from that's like one for us almost, I feel like. It's for people who grew up with Jurassic Park that Mattel decided to make a Metricanthosaurus toy. I think that that to me was like, th that sort of excitement about it was cool. It's yeah. lumbering. It sort of reminds me of like a cave bear or a giant <laughs> But something about it looks entirely, to be honest with you, it really reminds me of Crash McCreary's early concept art for Jurassic Park. It very much looks like a Jurassic Park dinosaur to me. Um, it looks realistic. It would look totally at home within the films. Um, it's not cartoony. It's not too monstrous. It's a little bit intimidating, but like its eyes don't look villainous. I don't know that that Metricanthosaurus toy has absolutely. It's very unique looking. It has very a lot of unique character, but it's, it's totally it, believable. It's a real dinosaur. It it could be like a hyena, you know? Yes, like the hyena, something a little bit more 
little more off, just a yeah. little bit more bulky off, a little bit more primal. But yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I, now that you mentioned it, I literally went and picked mine up and I have it in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. So I'm going to send you guys an image here through the uh, Skype chat. And um, I want to ask you guys, once you take a look at it, what you think uh, when you see this packaging, when you see this aesthetic? Hmm. Let's see. <laughs> Nostalgia. Um, but okay. adventure, mystery. Excitement. Yeah. It, Very cool. It's, it's clean and it pops, but it absolutely just has this sort of very instinctual feeling of just sort of mysterious and primal and adventurous and you want to be there it's beautiful but it's a little bit you're a little bit of it's like almost a little bit worrying like what is behind the trees yeah i'm afraid i'm afraid but i want to be there at the same time like it just it feels so it feels so natural but it's also a little it's a little intimidating it's that it's that general that that contrast between fear and excitement Right, right. And I agree with all of that. Um, and it, when I'm out on my evening walks, uh, you know, with the dog and, you know, it's that time of day, it's like sunset and it kind of looks like the packaging. I'm always kind of think, oh, so, you know, it's that time of the day where, you know, what's next? You know, yeah. it just kind of looks very, uh, you know, like you said, Chris, mysterious. Uh, there's a sense of adventure and you see those trees and, you know, you also have all these dinosaur toys that weren't in the film. It's like, okay, well, I know that these dinosaurs are, are there somewhere in the jungle. What are they up to? Uh, how can I experience this a little bit better? And I think that's where those toys come into play. So uh, I just love looking at that, even if it's just to kind of just like stare at the packaging and flip it, it around and look wild. at those dioramas. It yeah, yeah. It's, it's the intrigue of nature. It's beautiful, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit intimidating. Um, it's a little bit unknown, but it, it's, it's very... It's foreboding. Yeah, but it's very instinctually, it just instinctually connects with you immediately. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's something that Jurassic Park did. Uh even like as a novel and as a film and the toys as well. It just all hit that natural mark of Absolutely. the wonderment of dinosaurs and kind of human nature. Love the, the Kenner packaging. It's just something really magical and like nostalgic about it. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> How would you modernize that? Oh, um, I, you know, I think it's, it's kind of like the Star Wars. If you look at the vintage packaging, it's just so classic. I don't really think that you can. Um, you can you can make it a little more streamlined. You can make it a little more uh, visually, um, I, I guess, make it pop as you're walking down the the aisle. But I don't I don't know that you can really recapture that feeling. It's kind of like like I'm saying that Star Wars packaging is just it, it's so classic in, in what it did and how well known it is that it, it just seems like it'd be really hard to 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 step it up, I suppose. Well, yeah, it's it's I, I find that 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 vintage Star Wars packaging is kind of neat because even when they do stuff that isn't from that era, when it's like whether mm-hmm. it's like a, a Jyn Erso or even the Snoke, I, I find myself wanting, wanting to get, get those, those toys, toys, even though I don't necessarily get Star Wars toys anymore, that packaging. And even if it's new characters, I'm just like, yeah, there's just something it's like a commitment to a particular look. And I think 
that's what it just feels very sure not sure of itself because it's their toys but i don't know it's it's weird how yeah that vintage star wars packaging makes me want to get toys even though they're featuring characters that aren't even part of that original era it's like yeah. oh that's that 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 vintage looking snoke is very classy looking and i'm like wow like it just makes me think like what um if they had a like a billy brennan but it was done in the kenner style like what that would look like <laughs> look amazing but it's the thing is is the brand consistency of Jurassic Park is remarkable like the first film and all of its merchandising is so on point it's it like you know I know a lot of films were doing that at that point in time so it was very much a done thing in Hollywood but it almost feels like this toy is actually from the film itself it's it's so on point with everything that you see in the film the logo the book, the way that you got the sunset, it's just everything about it just feels like it's from the universe of the film. And I don't think I've seen anything, maybe apart from Star Wars, that feels that way. It has that kind of authority over you because it just feels like it's straight out of the film that you really loved. Absolutely. I think that there was something uh, that Jurassic Park, it had a brand synergy that uh, connected with you on an emotional level and an, and an instinctual level in ways that it's really kind of hard to put your thumb on it. Yeah. But um, it all just feels part, it really does feel like you're taking Jurassic Park home. And it really does capture that same that same feeling that the film gives you, that, that mm. be- beautiful danger, um, that mysterious wonder of, you know, both wanting to be there and wanting to run away. Uh, yeah. It's so it's such a contradiction and it's absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Well, and to that point, it's, it's, it's actually really nice. Uh, um, Cause I haven't gotten too many of, I haven't gone back on eBay and started to collect the figures again as an adult, you know, like, you know, would love to have all the original toys and the original packaging. And one day maybe I'll do that. But I recently, a, a friend found me, an Ellie Sattler at a comic book shop that was still in the box. And I think Chris, as you pointed out on Twitter, it's like a blackout variant or Victoria, maybe I can't remember who pointed. Yeah. It was Victoria who pointed that out. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, And it was just like, Whoa, I didn't even know that was a thing. But what's so funny is that the, the Ellie Sattler figure doesn't look like Laura Dern. Um, and in fact, that figure, that mold was reused for the Laura Linney Congo uh, <laughs> Karen Ross mold. And, and no way. Yeah, yeah. It's it, I have actually the the Karen Ross figure, and you put them right next to each other. the the only <laughs> The only similarity, because it was Kenner that did the Congo line. The only similarity, or the only difference, is that um, I believe uh, the Karen Ross figure has like Alan Grant's legs, like pants, and then Ellie Sattler yes. has the shorts, but what I find funny. And again, we're saying like, what's really capturing our imagination and and these toys and everything. It's like the figures don't even look like the movie, but yet there was just something that was so specific and committed that, and that had that authority. Like, you know, like we were saying that it's like, it didn't matter, you know, it didn't matter if it looked exactly like the actors. It it was to us. It, It felt like we were there. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And actually there was more, uh, room for EU because the, the 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 film was so mysterious about the other areas of the park. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of room for imagination, and uh, you, you you get those 
you know trading cards that would come with the action figures and they would yeah, spark yeah. my imagination because they were so much more gory and <laughs> kind of shocking than any of the moments maybe in the film i mean you had like the the the, the shot of um Muldoon climbing up out of the raptor pen with cut marks on his leg and the raptors clawing at his legs as he's trying to escape. And you're like, whoa, when did that happen? What? You know, your, your imagination is fired. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think, I think because the film was so minimal in the story thread that we followed, it left so much more for your imagination to kind of work out around the story. And that, that kind of made the toys very special in terms of play. It's funny that you mentioned that they're the trading cards, because I still think they're the best Jurassic Park um, sequel or expansion material, like the artwork on them. I, yes. I, I love The Lost World, but I think that they, um, they top out even The Lost World as just for their, like, actually hitting a world with living, breathing dinosaurs and kind of the tone and feel of Jurassic Park. Um, like, what, what is its ultimate, um, you know, how far can it go? And I think mm. that the trading cards really take it and really capture that same sense of imagination and raw, just sort of connection. Yeah. There's that one of the spitter as well. And it's, it's, I think it's supposed to be Nedry or someone, but it's got like, it's got its claws on their back and it's like pulling at their shirt and the person's trying to run away. And this, this Dilophosaur looks quite sort of small on his back, but it's sort of like pulling with so much force that he can't get away. And it's just it stuff like, like that. like Malcolm. Yeah. It does look like Malcolm. It's really naturalistic, though. It's really animalistic. Yeah. And it feels like, yeah, that could be a shot in a film because these dinosaurs that appear in Jurassic Park appear, appear so real that I can now imagine this happening in, a, in like you say, Chris, a, a Jurassic Park sequel. I can imagine this now. Um, it's, it's even it's the really colors cool. and the texture that they used. I know that sounds very weird, but just something about the colors and the texture feel very Jurassic Park, very Isla Nublar. It's very real, yeah. it's raw. It feels like you're actually just there in the wild. It, you know, you can almost feel like the wind blowing, rustling, the birds chirping in the trees. There's just there's just a certain attention to the detail that um I feel has been lost, especially now um, with newer films. A lot of things have become digital, and it's about making it look beautiful. Um, which it does, absolutely. And there's a lot of CG, and there's a lot of amazing work done, but it's almost all too perfect. It loses just that sort of naturalistic texture where things aren't exactly perfect. And as weird as it sounds, that artwork really captured that just wild, that wild sense that Jurassic Park really kind of... Felt. Yeah, there's no, there's no messiness to the behavior of, of the dinosaurs in a way that doesn't feel sort of planned you know there's you kind of you you want that sort of either the closest thing i can think to uh, uh, is in fallen kingdom that, that when the volcano goes off and the t-rex kind of loses it for a moment it kind of goes like whoa what the heck was that and that was the mm -hmm. that was probably the single best moment i've seen in these modern sequels i was like wow okay the t-rex just freaked out because the sonic boom or whatever just hit it and it probably messed with its senses and it did something really animalistic. And I was like, wow, that made me sit up. That was the first time I saw something well, that felt like Jurassic Park. You know, what's really funny is in the trailers, that doesn't happen. I'm almost certain that that was a reaction to the feedback that people had, which was, right. why the hell are these dinosaurs killing each other in the middle of a stampede <laughs> and in a, I love that the moment. island blowing up? And yeah. I still don't like the lead up to that moment because that moment doesn't feel earned with the behaviors right before it. But I do agree with you. It feels very... 
It's like, oh yeah, the T Rex. It's not a action hero. It's not a monster. You see, a, you see a weakness in it for a minute, and that is like that's quite important because up until this point, mm-hmm. this T Rex has been this walk on hero for the new sequels, <laughs> and and you've you know with debate, but you you've got you know the T Rex for a moment for a moment is an animal, and and that's really important. We um, haven't had that for a while. No, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I would argue in some instances, at least with Fallen Kingdom. As opposed to, and I'm only comparing Fallen Kingdom to Jurassic World in this case, but at least there was to me that welcome return of people touching the dinosaurs, getting hands on. There's spit, there's blood, there's even tears. And yeah, some of it is, you know, more calculated than others. But at least for me, that felt like a welcome return to the physicality where people are actually getting up close and, you know, the dinosaurs smell and stink. And I think rewatching Jurassic World, it was. It's. It was very to me. It, there just seemed a much more cold distance. But you know, the, the dinosaurs are out very there. sterile. Yes, yes. And in Fallen Kingdom, it was so exciting to see gross snot and and like just stickiness and and blood and the, you know, it, again in some ways that blue scene, which is my favorite scene, uh, the blue surgery scene in Fallen Kingdom, kind of almost made me remind me of the real feel skin of like the Jurassic park toys, like that they are getting up close and personal. This is the dino damage. Like for me, at least emotionally, it brought me back to more a nostalgic place um, than at least that moment more than any of the, of the new movie stuff. Visually. I do think fallen kingdom reintroduced a lot of the grit. Um, in a very unique, very um, striking way. Uh, all the visuals were very choreographed in a beautiful way. But I do think that it reintrodu- reintroduced the grit that has been mi- that was missing from Jurassic World. Yeah. Um, but so- something about Jurassic World, uh, I just rewatched it again recently. I think it feels a lot more real and believable as part of our world and part of Jurassic Park's world than uh, oh, for sure. than, fa- than Fallen Kingdom. Fallen oh. Kingdom just definitely, just completely is comic book. Uh, and I don't mean that like comic book movie uh, in the sense of, like oh it's Marvel. No, I just mean it. It's um it's very fantastical. It's yeah for sure. And that's it. Just doesn't. Con- I don't think it's the best screenplay. Uh, and even taking those elements out of it, I don't think it's the best screenplay. But mixing like the sort of wonky screenplay with just the level, I, it lost that believability, and that's what made Jurassic Park so special for me. So that's why Fallen Kingdom, despite its beautiful visuals, good acting, and a lot of other things going strong for it. I just it does not connect with me emotionally at all. I, I've hmm. it's definitely the worst of the Jurassic films, in my opinion. Wow. No, I mean it makes sense. It is the least I was thinking about that too, of like how a lot of modern movies, they because you can kind of go anywhere, there's you just you just get to the point. Every scene is just, you know, there's no um you know, you just get to the action or whatever. So it's like you're doing ten you're I don't. In some ways, to me, Fallen Kingdom is an embarrassment of riches because it's doing a lot. But I think, like you said, Chris, it doesn't necessarily allow time for any of it to develop. But I think that romantic wavelength for me, and again, I think what we're both saying is that like this is what you want out of the movie. And it's like, yeah, Fallen Kingdom doesn't necessarily have the believability like the previous Jurassic movies, but all the symbolism that it added and all the the romanticism about dinosaurs and this adventure and everything i think that's what i connected with more but i also totally understand that it 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 isn't a very believable like you don't it there's not a there's not a coherent step from from point a to point b in this movie at all it's very much just 
romantically what does this symbolize or whatever <laughs> like the stampede chase you know that's just that's just that's just making a roller coaster with dinosaurs yeah absolutely and the, there is it's very well made and it's very much again i will not downplay the truth of the fact that it's very much the way i played with my dinosaur toys <laughs> there is a very honest childlike um play factor to that movie and that, <laughs> that, that i will not deny i will definitely acknowledge it but um I don't think it's a very good movie. I think that it's. I think J.A. Bayona did some amazing work with it, but I think that there was just such a disconnect from them, especially the fact that it tried to go so much more deeper with its story. I felt that its connection to reality really um, was undermined by. Um, I, I just it just it was too much of a giant contradiction. It wanted to be too many different things at once. And it never quite gained the confidence in any direction um, to really win it, win me over as just a film by itself. The way some movies do, where I'm like, it's not the movie I wanted, but I can concede it was a good movie. Um, yeah. uh-huh. if, if, if you look at Jurassic Park as source material, it's it could be viewed as an as a, an adult film or a teen film. Um, I think I'd probably say it appeals to all ages. And because it's made by Steven Spielberg, who is essentially an auteur, really, director, uh, it, it is adult content, really, that had a toy line spun off of it that <laughs> kids really got into. And then what's happened is in a kind of incestuous way, the kids have played with the toys, and then the films have been made from what those kids imagined playing with those toys, and those are the films we're seeing now. And that's not really what Jurassic Park is. That's kind of like, if we played with these dinosaur toys, what would happen in the world of Jurassic Park? Oh, we'd have this and that. We'd have a volcano go up. That's not really what Jurassic Park is. Jurassic Park is much more of a, it's a quiet film. It's, it's, not, as, it's not as loud as these new ones are. You know, you've got moments where you've got no score whatsoever. And you've got just Grant and Tim climbing down a tree. And it takes its time. It really takes its time. It's it's more of an adult film than people realize. I, and that's the kind of point we're at now, is that we're watching films that are reenactments of, of children playing with toys. <laughs> um, yeah, speaking of uh, Spielberg, uh, I just realized this, uh, was it two weeks ago, that uh, Stephen, that uh, the show at the Hollywood Bowl, John Williams conducting the L.A. Uh, Philharmonic, uh, I didn't know this after the show, but Stephen and I were actually at the very same showing. Oh, I know. I can't no. believe that we didn't run into each other. Yeah, and it, it, it's funny because I, I know I told you this, Stephen, but I saw somebody that maybe it was you, maybe it wasn't, but it, I, it, they reminded <laughs> me of you, and I thought, you know, I thought of you for a second, but I'm like, no, that's not him. That was, <laughs> it, was, it probably was me. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, you know, I, I mean, I had a much I'd never been to a live scoring thing. And and it was such a transcendent experience, m- more than I ever thought it would be, mostly because also that Spielberg was there and he was just kind of introing every little thing that he's done with yeah. John Williams. And it felt like I was in film school or something in like a, it was in, awesome in a good way. But I and, and it's so funny because there obviously was a bunch of Jurassic fans there. And I think some of us were puzzled by the fact that it's the 25th anniversary and they're not playing the Jurassic Park theme. But oh, for sure. But then I would look over it and I'd see all the people in 
you know, Gryffindor and, and Hufflepuff scarves and, and wands. And I'm like, well, I feel like my disappointment is not as disappointed as, um, <laughs> as all the Harry Potter fans. Cause he didn't play the Hedwig's theme or anything either. And, you know, and, and disappointment's not even the right word. Obviously it would have been cool to see him do it live, but at the same time, it was, I mean, seeing him do Star Wars, seeing him, it's, it's funny. John Williams has handed off every franchise and really the only thing left that's his is is Star Wars and so I I'm very I feel very lucky to see him before cuz I feel like after episode 9 comes out he's just going to like turn to dust and sort of transcend this <laughs> oh, no. so yeah. yeah you know I've seen him four times and I don't think I've ever seen him do the compose the or uh, conduct the Jurassic music for whatever reason oh well, maybe it's something licensing and legal related as boring as that sounds I don't know because I mean, if you go to YouTube it seems like there are videos of him doing it I, I guess those are just the years that I haven't been gone there so um yeah it's interesting I just I, I guess I just get unlucky you just need to sit at the front and go do Jurassic Park just shout <laughs> it really loud like the encore do Jurassic Park you never do it it's, it's fun. <laughs> I mean, I think that if he were asked to return to Jurassic Park, he would, as long as oh. they paid him for it. Come on. Come on, um, Spielberg. I mean, hell, I think I remember uh, <laughs> in 2013, somebody, I think it was right after Colin Trevorrow got announced for uh, Jurassic Park 4, which eventually became Jurassic World. Um, so when I saw John Williams would return, and he said he doesn't want to commit to anything this early or something mm-hmm. like that. Which it made me think that they were they were talking to John Williams. It would not surprise me if they were talking yeah. to John Williams, and and it really just came down to a budgetary concern. Well, it was a huge conflict of interest as well. You had Star Wars and Jurassic World being made at the same time, mm-hmm. and it was almost like Hollywood's resources were like, well, hang on, we're going to put all of our A people on Star Wars, or we're going to put lots of people on. It's like, okay, well, Jurassic World can kind of take the back seat a little bit. And Star well, Wars is the one we're going to push more, and it was. And they kind of outsourced yeah, all the VFX absolutely. to Singapore, and they and John Williams didn't do the score. And it's kind of like, oh man, what would it have been like if it had just been made two years prior or two years later? Would it have <laughs> actually had John Williams coming back? Would we have had, you know, the A team doing the VFX? Would Spielberg have been interested if the script was refined enough? You know, all this kind of stuff. You know, it makes me think, oh, maybe one day. <laughs> Well, well if, you candid, if you candidly talk to people in person who worked on the film or are in the industry, they will all tell you the same thing. You're absolutely right. The B teams were generally thrown on Jurassic World, um, mm. unless somebody really wanted it. Nobody wanted to work on Jurassic World because they all read the early scripts, and it was, by all accounts, awful. Everyone <laughs> thought the movie was going to be a disaster. The movie shaped up right towards the end of development, essentially, and things were already sort of locked in. Um, but yeah, no, everyone, the entire industry, even retailers and so on, thought Jurassic World, they they got really excited that it's coming back. And then as they learned more, they basically dialed back their involvement. <laughs> and then eventually, as sort of a Hail Mary, Jurassic World did save itself. And uh, Colin yeah. Trevorrow, you know, sort of rewrote the script and found a way to make sense of this bizarro storyline. Um, mm. And uh, <laughs> and we ended up with a movie that I like. I don't think it's a particularly amazing movie, but I don't think it's a bad movie either. I think Jurassic World is like a very average movie with a very non-average fun factor, as in like I think its fun factor exceeds the quality of the movie for reasons I really can't explain. And that is you know part of the elements that he introduced. And I think that it's just some some kind of clunky ideas that were brought to life 
despite sterile visuals, just with a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, no, Jurassic World, it was a, uh, it was a battle in the industry. Nobody wanted it because, you know, the last script a lot of them read had uh, raptors versus terrorists in, uh, <laughs> in the Middle East at the end of it. Um, there was a whole uh, scene, if I'm not mistaken, where basically Owen's running through and like in a gunfight, and then finally he like busts down a door, and then someone says something like, "Oh, you came here alone, and there's all these guys surrounding him. Like, stupid American, you're gonna die today." I swear to God, this is what it said. And then all of a sudden, all these laser lights ended up illuminating each of these individual guys and Velociraptors with like tactical gear, like targeting each of these individual. Uh, soldiers uh appeared and then the film ended <laughs> it's dino riders i swear to god that was the end of jurassic park 4 uh from wow. the original script writers who then colin trevorrow got brought on and then he got to rewrite it but uh yeah that's one of the reasons why people were a little apprehensive about that film <laughs> crazy so i received an mp3 from mark who uh, wanted to share his memories of the Jurassic toy line. So I'd like to go ahead and play that now. Uh, we'll just take a quick listen to it, and then we can see what he has to say. Wow, 25 years of Jurassic Park toys, so many great memories. I remember Christmas of 93, getting the Jungle Explorer Jeep and an assortment of dinosaurs. I was absolutely delighted. I couldn't wait to get them. I was counting the days till Christmas that year. Uh, you know, the following year, picking up uh, as many of the dinosaurs as I could from the line, just absolutely loved them. Never uh, had many human characters. In fact, I think the only human character I had from the the first uh, Kenner toys was Dennis Nedry, the Dennis Nedry that looked like the Terminator. Uh, that was the only human figure I had, oddly enough. Um, but yeah, so many good memories of uh, Jurassic Park toys from, from years past. You know, uh, when The Lost World came out, they released some really good good figures for that as well. Uh, I never really picked up any of the JP3 toys. Uh, I just never really liked the look of them. They, they didn't scale too well with the, the figures I already had uh, from the Kenner series. And I just, I just never got into JP3 collecting. Um, you know, later on, I'd, I'd pick up a few pieces from Jurassic World. Under Hasbro, I wasn't, you know, overly impressed, but they did, you know, they had some nice figures. But, uh, you know, delighted at the moment that Mattel is releasing uh, such great products. I really love what they're doing with the line, and I think it's, you know, it's come full circle now. You know, the the counter figures were great back in the day, and Mattel is really just banging out some some real beauties now with the current line. So, really happy. So uh, yeah, thank you, Mark, for that audio. And Mark uh, is one of the Cantina Patreon patrons, so. Uh, especially appreciate him sending that in. Um, so yeah, he made some good points that I can relate to. Uh, he didn't really have human figures early on, and I actually didn't either. Uh, I think I'd mentioned I was mostly focused on uh, the dinosaurs. I didn't have a ton of the dinosaurs. I didn't have all of them, but I had mostly the, the bigger ones from series one. And uh, it wasn't until years later that I got more into you know collecting and getting the human figures and getting the things that I didn't have as a kid. Uh, and he also mentioned that he wasn't so much into Jurassic Park 3, which uh, I, I didn't buy a single Jurassic Park 3 toy during at the time. No. <laughs> um, it, it was the same thing that he mentioned uh, for me that, you know, I saw them. I was very interested in them. Uh, but then when I actually saw them for the first time, I think it was at KB Toys. Uh, I, I was just very, uh, I felt very let down by what I saw that I just didn't have any interest in picking any of them up. Me neither. It- it's it's funny you mentioned that because I was the same way with the Jurassic Park three toys. I was I was young, and my mom said to me, she's like, I, th- I think you're gonna collect these when you get older. You're gonna regret not picking them up. So 
my mom talked me into getting the Jurassic Park 3 toys. Um, wow. Because, yeah, it was just, it was sort of a level of foresight from her perspective. Um, she's like, I think you're just, I think you're going to want these. You're going to regret not having them. And, uh, you know, she, she definitely was sort of right. Like, I don't have the strongest feeling for them, but that was probably the film that I was then old enough to kind of really put it all into perspective of, you know, I wasn't just a tiny, tiny, you know, I can, at least I have very firm memories from that age. Sure, sure. Mm. I was talking to Brad Jost from the Jurassic Park podcast because we're, I mean, similar age. And I think that was the point for me. I mean, Jurassic Park 3, I, I just wonder... You know, I obviously have a lot of love for Jurassic Park 3 still even now, but it was that thing I think a lot of people have said that there was a palpable disappointment. And I wonder if like it's a chicken in the egg, uh, a raptor in the egg situation where um, was our adolescence going like for me going into high school and kind of getting out of collecting toys and stuff at the, you know, I've obviously come completely full circle and back around. So, but I think maybe for me at the time, it was like, uh, it was almost like, like, I wonder if I had been, you know, 14 when Jurassic Park came out or, or Lost World and would it have been easier to make that decision or because Jurassic Park three, the way it was and with the toys, the way it was and switching up the, the, um, the sizing and everything, it almost made it an easy thing to be like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need to get these toys. Like, I wonder what came first. Was it because I happened to be the age that I was where you're going through puberty and you're like, no, I'm going to be into Lord of the Rings and rock music or something. (laughs) Like, I, 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 I mean, again, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I just wonder if, if that had an effect, like which, which was stronger that I was, going into high school where you want to kind of reject the things from your childhood at first, or was it because Jurassic Park three was in some ways a disappointment or like we've mentioned, like because it, the toys weren't the same size and it just felt like such a dramatic thing that it was like, Oh, I can't. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. For me personally, I, I can tell you it was, it was actually the toys. It was strictly the quality of the toys and the fact that they didn't live up to what Kenner had done. Um, because I was collecting Star Wars during that time, and uh, I started collecting Star Wars very heavily in '96, and um, I, I was very much into into Star Wars around that time, and still am, obviously. But uh, I had no problem with buying toys, uh, you know, as I was getting into high school. And I think uh, when uh, Jurassic Park three came out, I think I was maybe a freshman in high school. But uh, it was uh, it, it was definitely the toys; uh, they just didn't. Spike, spark my interest whatsoever. The the human figures, uh, they, they just look very bland to me. And uh, the dinosaurs all being the same size, uh, unless you got into like the bigger uh, animatronic spinosaurus, things like that. But mm. uh, yeah, I, I just had no interest there. For me, it was a twofold sense of disillusionment with Jurassic Park 3. That was first, there was the spinosaurus, which I didn't agree with in principle, like replacing the T-Rex as the head of the of the Jurassic Park brand. Um, and then you had the the toys were like half the size and the sculpts were half as good. And um, yeah, it's just so disappointing to see them in the shop. I was like, oh, so they made the T-Rex the same size as the Raptors, huh? And then I was like, well, I'm not buying these. And then I'm like, okay, well, okay, so let's have a look, see what the big one is. Oh, it's just the Spinosaurus. Okay, yeah, I'm not interested in any of this. But it, you know, for everyone who knew the legacy of the toys up until that point, it had it didn't have very much to appeal unless you were younger and really loved the Spinosaurus. Then it made sense. 
Um, but for me personally, it had nothing in terms of the toy line that made me think. I think the Raptors were the coolest part of the Jurassic Park 3 toy line, if I'm honest. Um, because they just had like really cool coloring and stuff. And I think just the standalone dinosaur toys, not Jurassic Park toys, but just the standalone dinosaur toys, they just looked cool. I just want to say, I think the uh, Pteranodons were my favorite part of that toy line. Oh, yeah, the Pteranodons were cool as well. Yeah, yeah. We didn't get many of those in the UK for some reason. The Raptors and the oh, T-Rex, no. we had loads of. We had the awful T-Rex everywhere. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the green one. And um, I think we had the animatronic Spinosaurus because I was really invested in what's the biggest thing they're selling this time because I had saved up pre The Lost World coming out for the Thrasher T-Rex. Um, because I knew there was a big T-Rex coming, and then I, I bought that. But with this one, I was like, oh, I'll see if they've got a big T-Rex this time, and it was the Spinosaurus. And I was like, oh, I'm not so interested in that. So, yeah, it was funny. Fast forward uh, from there, it was like 14 years, 2015, Hasbro is still making the Jurassic toys. Uh, and as much as we were let down by Jurassic Park 3's toys, um, <laughs> it's probably not even worth asking but um what did you guys feel uh when 2015 rolled around and uh, lo and behold the quality kind of slid down a little more <laughs> i mean i only have two i'm surprised that i even have i have the mosasaur because i just thought the sculpt was cool and mm. then i got and then i got charlie because i just charlie was my favorite raptor squad but that's it. That's I was every time I'd go in and be like, maybe do I? Nah. And it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that that stuff was like it was like I, I don't know. There's a different feeling of like when I go into Target now and I see Jurassic Park toys on the shelves. It's like oh, that's so cool. It, it I mean, it wasn't embarrassing, but it certainly wasn't. I certainly wasn't. I mean, just even the amount of toys I've gotten since. It, there's a clear winner there for me personally. Mm. I mean, I, I, I kind of got the toys out of an obligation to review them. So for me, I, I wasn't even really interested in them that much. I mean, at the time, it was exciting because it was riding that wave of a new Jurassic Park film. And that in itself was exciting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, I don't own any of the first wave that I reviewed. I mean, that kind of shows how much I was attached to those figures. Um, and then, um, yeah, I almost couldn't be bothered to review the hybrid ones, which were probably the cooler dinosaurs mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, but they were too late for me. By that point, I'd just been disillusioned by the Hasbro quality and I didn't really want repaints of those sculpts in my collection. So, um, as cool as they were, I, I, I just couldn't muster the energy to buy or review them. Um, so yeah, it was just one of those things where it, I just felt let down in, in the, on the whole. Um, so that was a bit of a shame. Um, and actually they got quite kind of sought after weirdly, like the Mosasaur, like you're saying, Stephen was, <laughs> was quite rare and everyone wanted, and it's still valuable now. Huh. Um, but I wonder what the Mattel line has done to the value of these Jurassic World toys. It's actually funny. I from what I know, it has brought down the value um, quite a bit actually for the Jurassic World right. toys, because you know there's and I think uh, if and when the Indominus Rex releases next year from Mattel, I think we're going to see a plummeting in value of the Hasbro Indominus Rex because right, it's sort yeah. of it, it's it's the only version that's available. Same with the Mosasaurus. It was you know it was a decent three D sculpt. It wasn't really a great toy, but um it was it's also the only aquatic reptile in a Jurassic Park line. 
ever. So that Mosasaurus definitely has its value. And now then Mattel just came out, you know, came out with this incredible, like, 28 inches or 24 inches. I don't know, but this huge Mosasaur toy, and it's awesome, and it's only $30. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, I think that you're going to see, uh, especially once you can no longer get that on shelves, I think you're going to quickly see that replace the value of uh, the Hasbro toys. Yeah, mm. those those values have come down, but interestingly, a lot of them are still pretty high. Uh, I, I looked at them maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and uh, even like the Bashers, like hybrids, like the Indominus Rex with the Battle Armor, that one was still selling for like $100, like in the box. Which I, of course, skipped that one because <laughs> I thought, oh, that looks stupid. And like, I remember Toys R Us had it, and Toys R Us, you know, sells stuff for an overpriced price, and I wasn't willing to spend it. And now I'm like, ah, just for having it complete, I should have done it. Because I didn't want those toys. I didn't really care for them, but I still bought them. Yeah, and, and it was just sort of out of obligation to years of wanting Jurassic Park 4 and wanting the brand. I just wanted to support this brand that I cared so deeply about and hope for the best, hope for a turnaround on it, um, yeah. which thankfully did happen. Um, but now I'm sort of like, I can part ways with a lot of those. Right, sure. And uh, yeah, it is interesting because I mean, you would think that with all these awesome toys that Mattel's putting out, that you know people would totally you know ignore what came before that from from Hasbro. But uh, no, the people are still buying them. So. Yeah, it's you know, crazy. It's a Jurassic Park toy, you know. It, it still has that. Uh, it still has that brand and that collectability attached to it. I sure. think. And there's going to be people nostalgic about them as well, which is weird. Like there's going to be. <laughs> There's going to be the Indominus Rex big head nostalgia, and um, <laughs> you know there's going to be people who had all the crappy bash of biters looking back, going, "Oh man, that was my toy when I was like four. <laughs> I really want that one again in the box." And there are going to be these people buying <laughs> toys at inflated prices, and it's coming. And, it, and there's going to be these toys that were made 25 years before that just outshine them in quality, and they're not interested in those. <laughs> It's funny. It's just hilarious. It is. And when you look at pricing on, on pretty much anything, like from, from the Kenner days, I mean, it's just exorbitant what those prices are going for. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it, and, you know, I think that's really one of my favorite things about Mattel's legacy line is that, you know, if you can't spend $200 on a Jungle Explorer, you can't spend $300 on, you know, a boxed Red Rex, you know, you do have these other options yeah. that are, you know, very good, very good, of course, and uh, more proportionate in terms of like the jeep you know compared to the bush double tracker or the humans looking a little yes. more accurate so uh mm. I, I think it is in a way serving that need so that's pretty cool I, you know if i had one wish with the legacy line is two things i wish that um the humans are very good but a lot of the dinosaurs just feel like they feel like they could have been in the core line they're vaguely but not really they don't feel accurate to the legacy dinosaurs not the mm. way that the core toy line like blue looks like blue the carnotaurus looks like the carnotaurus and so on the legacy dinosaurs are sort of vague, um, vague to Jurassic Park. I would love True. to see two things happen with it. I would like to see them become a little bit more accurate to the animals that they're supposed to um, portray. But I'd also like to see maybe some filler pieces that maybe are aimed at uh, pinging our nostalgia for the classic Kenner toys. So it'd be really cool mm. to see some that are painted like the Kenner toys. And for kids that don't have that nostalgia or younger people that don't have that nostalgia, they still have, it's still a dinosaur toy. And as long as it's well-made, I think they'll still buy it because it's just a cool looking T-Rex to them. Definitely. Or that Dimorphodon. For some reason, that Dimorphodon just feels like, that original Dim Kenner Dimorphodon oh, the just feels Dimetrodon? like. Are you, Dimetrodon, excuse me. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> a different non-dinosaur. Uh, non um, <laughs> yeah, that, that Dimetrodon 
from childhood is like one of those things where it's like it's not a dinosaur but when i when i think of a uh, dimetrodon i think of that kenner toy yeah so do i well, when you think of dinosaurs, that's, I think even though it's not a dinosaur, absolutely, I think that people immediately dimetrodon for the age of dinosaurs is something that they immediately associate with the within the imagery. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't believe the films haven't put a, di- a dimetrodon in, but that that toy was so good; it was so well sculpted, yeah, had so much character. It felt like it could have been in the films. Like everything about it looked like it could have been a Crash McCreary design. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, it's such a great toy. It had a really great big biting play factor to it really easy to use really fun natural colors it's just it was it was Jurassic park through and through a, i think it's one it's of the a, best no i was going to say it's actually very similar to the Tyco toys as well the, the um the dino riders dinetrodon it's not as bold as the jurassic park one but it has a very similar play feature and was like a, a greeny color as well so i really feel like the dimetrodon was um was inspired by the the dino riders uh dimetrodon it's oh, it would not surprise me. Yeah, it just feels like it's basically an upgraded version of that Dino Riders toy, which is pretty cool. Definitely, I, I think it's. I think one of the amazing things that's often underplayed is how well the um, most most not all, but most of the Jurassic Park toys have adhered to um, the art style that uh, Stan Winston and Crash McCreary really kind of set into motion with the uh, classic Jurassic Park trilogy. Mm. Um, I think that there's a certain style and character. There's a certain soul to the animals. And I think most of the toys actually, whether or not they had a representation in the film or not, I think that they really kind of captured that look pretty well. I got the um, legacy Gallimimus in the post today. And uh, it's the legacy pretty good. One. Yeah, it just I arrived today. It's not. I, I saw it on Smith's Toys here in the UK and I was like, oh, I'm going to... I'll buy that one, and it's arrived today, and I didn't know when it was going to come. Um, but yeah, it's 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 different. I'll take a photograph and tweet it after this uh, podcast. But um, please, it's, please do. It's different to the sealed box in that it's like an open box, so you can play with your Gallimimus in the box. Um, and it, I don't know. I think the paint job's been improved. The eyes look better, and the um, just the general coloration looks more like the Gallimimus from Jurassic Park. So I was really pleased. Nice. Um, so yeah, I'll take a picture and, um, Does it have and, white legs, though? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to go and have a look now. But because it's... It, Jurassic Park Gallimimus, they have, uh, white legs, and the Jurassic World Gallimimus do not. They ha- still have kind of, like, the same brownish, orangish oh, color kind of going down their legs. So I'll that's have what to have I'm a curious look. If get I think it might have paler it. legs, but I'll have to take a picture and tweet. But it's, uh, it's upstairs, because I kind of, at least, you know, kind of into the to the legacy line uh, and I'm thinking I'm gonna just keep them in their boxes because uh, <laughs> I'm not really gonna play with them but I've got the t-rex I got the legacy Gallimimus, I got the Jeep and I've got the three human figures so far so I just love has the way anyone, they look has anyone else found that uh that legacy pteranodon that is painted like the tapahara from jp3 nope the, oh, right. I'm very curious if that's going to be a wide release or if that's the case of like a test shot item accidentally getting like shipped out or something like that. Let me just check Smith Toys here in the UK because they're pretty sneaky. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> that one came out of nowhere because as far as I knew, the Legacy line was going to have a repaint of the Pteranodon but in the Jurassic World colors, not a Tapahara colored one. So that one has, it's and it seems like it's only been found by one person in L.A., um, and it's definitely not a fake. It's definitely the real thing, but I'm quite curious. About it. 
Yeah, who knows? Very, with the whole uh, thing with Maisie supposedly being a Target exclusive and then showing up at Walmart, up. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, it's been consistently showing up at Walmart, so I have no idea what's going on there. I still haven't found Maisie, though. I, I have yet to find Maisie. And I mean, I've seen her twice. <laughs> see, I'm broke, so I can't spend the uh, inflated prices to buy her. <laughs> Yeah, actually, uh, I had seen her once, maybe like a little bit after the movie came out, and then I found two more the other day. On uh, when I right after I got out of JP twenty five, actually, I saw two of them on the shelf. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't been so lucky. Um, so before Jurassic World came out, uh, Hasbro had actually done a few uh, dinosaurs for the. Uh, they had their line at Toys R Us exclusively, and they did a few. Uh, in 2008, 2009, and then they did a couple more in 2013 uh, for the 3D re-release. Um, and two of those were, uh, now they're look, they're very expensive if you go to eBay, and, and a lot of people really appreciate the quality of them, but there was the Allosaurus and there's the Pachyrhinosaurus. Did you guys expect that when Jurassic World toys came out in 2015 that they would uphold some of that quality, such as what's found on those two figures? Absolutely. That's, I think, I mean, the Jurassic World toy line was a disappointment in itself for many reasons, even without that. But um, yeah, we knew that they had just released those incredible toys. And I think they're better than the ones Mattel has put out. And I think Mattel's raised the bar across the board, but I think that those uh, 2013, the Allosaurus Showdown and the Pachyrhinosaurus Clash, I think that they were um, probably, nostalgia aside, the best Jurassic Park toys made. Absolutely. Um, and I think that they still have set a bar that Mattel needs to try to strive for. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I really, especially knowing how many sculpts, they, I mean, they didn't just sculpt the the known Carnotaurus and Stegosaurus. I mean, there were smaller ones like Styracosaurus, um, there was an ankylosaurid. I think there was like a. Um, there were quite a few. I mean, it was a full assortment. So there were like the medium-sized dinosaurs, which those were part of. There were smaller dinosaurs. There were large dinosaurs. It was going to be a really robust line, <sighs> and apparently the level of detail and quality and articulation across the board was for that. So um, my immediate assumption was like, well, they have those sculpts ready. They'll release them for Jurassic World, and then you know release similar toys <laughs> alongside them. But no, that that didn't happen. Apparently, there was a feathered Velociraptor as well, um, oh. which would have been very interesting to see in a toy line. Definitely. Uh, so now here in 2018, we're, we're 25 years removed from the original film and the original toy line. And as we have discussed throughout this episode, the toys have come a long way. There's been ups, there's been downs, there's been really low downs. Um, but now with Mattel in charge and putting out all this product, uh, putting out a toy line, like they just don't do anymore these days with most with most movies. Yeah. Uh, very robust, very full of all sorts of different uh, price points and uh, very fair price points, I might add. Um, mm -hmm. What has your, your guys' overall impression been with what Mattel's been doing? I know we are, we're all fans of what they've been doing, but uh, more specifically, uh, what is it about this current line that's been speaking to you as a collector and fan of the franchise and the toys? Mm, good question. I, I personally, I, I like looking at how things are made. And what I appreciate with Mattel's line is probably it wouldn't have been made unless it was made right now. Uh, because 3D printing has probably enabled half of these sculpts to be as nice as they are and as miniature as they are. Um, I don't think we would have got a line like this, say, five years ago, which, you know, is Jurassic World. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like toys are kind of, they got to a point where they were kind of reliant on hand sculpted 
figures that you could only go to certain levels of detail and over the last sort of decade or so scanning in bigger sculpts doing them in zbrush printing them out and then miniaturizing them and retaining that detail has become possible and that's meant that we've got really nice sculpts now on this Mattel line. So that's something I appreciate personally as a, as a fan of kind of manufacturing processes and how things are made. It's funny that you mentioned that because from my experience, I feel like wax sculpts, when well-made, still have tighter detail than uh, ZBrush sculpts because ZBrush sculpts, the artist never exactly has an entire feel of what it's going to look like in a physical form. And a lot mm. of times you end up with these kind of soft, shiny sort of... Um, just kind of rubbery amounts of detail where well-made wax sculpts are incredibly tight. Like nothing is as tightly um, detailed as like the Kenner Dimetrodon mm. or the, um, or, uh, or even <laughs> as bad as they were, the Jurassic Park 3 toys had a lot of tight detail work with their sculpt. I'm not exactly mm. a fan of the art style, but I think the sculpt work was incredibly detailed. Mm. I just don't find that zebra sculpting, I think it's totally capable of getting that level of detail. But typically speaking, I don't think that we see the same level of detail applied there. Mm. And the other catch is a lot of times you'll see the same ZBrush model repurposed into multiple toys. So you'll have the same, basically what feels like the exact same toy with a different play feature at a different scale. Um, mm. Particularly guilty is the Mattel T-Rex. It literally looks like the same T-Rex toy repurposed with different play features at different I, sizes across the board. Yeah, but I'd say that's probably the best sculpted T-Rex, maybe next oh, to the is. red T-Rex that I've seen, and that kind of, like, even looking at the Gallimimus this evening, I was I was like, wow, this thing is really tiny and spindly, but the detail for its, for its size is staggering, like, it, it's like, wow, this is like a miniature digital model of the Gallimimus in my hand, and I think we take for granted now how detailed toys have become in a smaller scale. And um, it almost feels like a return to Star Wars three and three quarter inch figures where the sculptors really cared about, you know, what the little figure was about. It was a real statement piece. And it feels like we're kind of getting back there. I know what you mean. That artisan feel does add something of a almost a stylization that's really defined that you don't get yeah, with each, a digital Each toy sculpt. has its own character. And I think yeah. that's one thing that's sort of lost is you sort of feel like they designed a Velociraptor and then purposed that Velociraptor model into a toy for a lot yeah. of them. And yeah. it's, it's particularly evident with like sort of the repeated, um, the, the individual sculpts oftentimes are just repeated across the board. But some mm. of the toys have individual um, stylization, like the crouching Velociraptor, the green one, which I don't particularly love, <laughs> but I think, it, I think that it was... It was a good idea that was sort of poorly executed, um, mainly because it's using its foot, its hand as a foot, uh, which mm. Velociraptors have never done. It's very Indominus Rex esque. But mm. I think I think there's a I think there's a toy in there. Filling had like an articulated jaw and tighter detail, but um, mm. overall I think Mattel has just completely raised the bar um, as an overall toy line. Yeah, um, I think they're doing some stuff better than uh, Kenner did. I think Kenner is still the golden standard, but I think that there are certain levels of um. I'm sorry, this toy does have an articulated jaw. It's, it's kind of <laughs> clunky. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I think that Kenner really set the golden standard. But yeah, I think the Mattel toys have really raised the bar in a lot of, uh, a lot of realms. And accuracy is probably one of the ones. For the most part, a lot of their toys are a lot more accurate. And even on some level, I mean, again, I'm probably the most casual collector out of this group. And... I never thought I would be, like I was saying earlier, I never thought I'd be collecting these toys again to the level that I have. But 
I, I mean, it really is just something where I just want to show these off. It looks, they look cool. They look, they're fun. They're fun to look at. You can just stare at them. And I'm just, you know, I, I always thought I would be somebody who would just find the money and the time to get the old toys and try and get the old Kenner toys and stuff like that. So I, I'm just very grateful. And, and, and I also think I see that across the board that, that, you know, there's hardcore fans and there's casual fans, but then there's that sort of world in the middle that I think Mattel is really capturing. I think we've talked about the, the Victoria, you're mentioning all the price points and stuff and it's and having it be a lot more accessible for people who aren't necessarily going to be able to afford or, or want to go back to the original Kenner toys. They don't want to necessarily scour eBay or deal with those kind of things. In some ways, the Mattel line is allowing us to collect dinosaurs that we like, um, but in a way that isn't asking a lot from us. And so mm. in, in that sense, I really appreciate it because it, it is just something where like, I'll go to target and it's like, all right, I got to get this thing, that thing, you know, toilet paper and, you know, <laughs> uh, tooth, tooth, toothpaste or whatever. Oh wait, maybe I'll go and sw- like, that's what, that's been my routine at, um, just because I live close to a target. That's kind of been my routine for the last few months is like, I'll go to target. I need to get these things. Oh, I'll swing by the, the toy aisle and it's just been such a joy to like, all right, like, is there anything here? Nope, nothing new this time. Okay. Oh, wait, this week. Oh, shit. The Sucomimus is out. Okay, I'll grab it. Like, it, to oh, make the it that pros- kind of... Proceratosaurus. Yeah, yeah. The, the, but, it, but it's just that kind of casual nature, that accessibility that Mattel has given us. I think, at least for me, I really appreciate that. And I think maybe, hopefully, maybe that adds to the longevity of... of like Chris, you were saying, you know, having it not just be about Jurassic Park, but it just about having cool dinosaur toys back in our lives, no matter how old we are. And I mean, we know Mattel has big plans for next year. Um, you know, there's a lot of toys coming out next year, even even though it's an off year. So, I mean, 16 brand new species that Mattel has yet to do. Um, that's not just the, that's not the extent of the toy line. The toy line is going to have plenty of returning returning species as new sculpts or repaints of old sculpts and then 16 new species humans vehicles etc uh it's going to be an incredibly robust toy line next year and that's exciting on its own knowing brachiosaurus uh yes brachiosaurus toy um so yeah i'm very excited to see what they do i'm excited to see what they're doing with play patterns i think the one play pattern they completely missed was uh katain I think that they missed the the idea of capture and contain the dinosaurs. So I think that there should have been a play pattern that allowed you to capture the dinosaurs and then contain them in some sort of gear, and then have the dinosaurs kind of break free and escape, break out and escape. Mm-hmm. I think I would love mm-hmm. to see that play pattern carried forward for imaginative play, uh, capture gear or something similar. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's probably the one thing that Mattel missed the ball on that I think they could probably do, um, and diversifying their play patterns, bring electronic toys into different scales so it's not always going to be the big roar of war that's only electronic i would love an electronic velociraptor it is interesting how they didn't try to integrate more of that capture gear sort of element because uh, it's a pretty pivotal part of the movie even though we don't see it all yeah. that much it is going on in the background it's that's still a, a big point. theme of the movie it's a very big theme capturing the dinosaurs and then the dinosaurs breaking free is a mm. very big theme of the movie and i was very surprised that they didn't bring that forward um, as well as hatchlings. I'd like to see more hatchlings to dinosaurs because yeah. then you can introduce more uh, play patterns in terms of dinosaurs protecting their youngs, pe- young people capturing the young dinosaurs, other dinosaurs trying to eat the young dinosaurs. It just kind of diversifies the portfolio of animals within different scales, and you can make these family units, you know, 
Triceratops, adult Triceratops, juvenile Triceratops baby. You know, we do have baby blue, but that's the only hatchling. I'd like to see that expanded upon, not just with character dinosaurs. And um, if I had one other thing with the Mattel toy line, my only worry is some of the non-film dinosaurs, uh, some of their sculpts and paint jobs have been a little bit uh, cartoony. Their art style has not matched up to the other toys. Like the Minmi? So, like the Minmi, like the Proceratosaurus, which looks like a hatchling that's been plus-sized <laughs> with articulation. Yeah. Um, like the Sukumimus, which looks like a, a holdover from the Chaos Effect toy line. Like It's beautiful. It's very well sculpted, but it's art style. I would never expect to see that dinosaur in a Jurassic Park film. <laughs> um, it, it is. It, don't get me wrong. There's some great artistry done on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it would be insane. <laughs> the Spinosaurus is a bit kaiju-looking, very muscular, kind of squat and stumpy with these big T-Rex-like teeth rather than these... It is, there's certain toys that kind of have a more cartoony art style um, that I would just like to see more consistency and have them match up with the Baryonyx or the Carnotaurus or the T-Rex or the Velociraptor um, a little bit more tightly. You could tell their hero dinosaurs had a lot of attention to realism put into them, where mm. some of their non-hero dinosaurs got a little bit more cartoony, and they almost feel like they're part of a sideline, like Chaos Effect or a younger toy line or... Just the art style is a little bit different. I'd like to see more yeah. art style. See, well, you mean. Because that's well, yeah. what made Jurassic Park so special, is you felt like you had a living, breathing version of the dinosaur just in miniature form. Yeah. Well, you, you now you just got my imagination spinning of, imagine, uh, you know, um, Grant and Eric and the whole family turning around when the ringtone is ringing and it's just a an electric neon blue yellow <laughs> Sukumimus <laughs> with like fish like this um, <laughs> fins on its back and on its tail and you're like what the hell is that yeah yeah that just would be insane but kind of hilarious at the same time I mean I think those are really cool designs I don't necessarily think they fit within the realm of the films. And I yeah. think that there's totally room for toys like that and totally room for cartoons, <coughs> DreamWorks. Uh, hopefully it doesn't get canceled again. <coughs> um, fingers crossed. I really uh, want that. I really want that to be an expanded well, universe to it. Say, I, I saying it, saying it loudly, and maybe, maybe you'll save it from extinction. But believe me, there's a battle to be fought there. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, but I think there's a lot of room for toys and expansions of some of these more creative designs. But I think the core toy line and the magic of Jurassic Park is it all felt so real. And I'd like to see Mattel kind of... Because I don't think they're trying to make it stylized. I think some of their toys are just accidentally stylized. Like the Dimetrodon, it's very angular and cartoony looking. It also only has three toes rather than five. Um, there's a certain anatomical fluxes that uh, Kenner did a better job of paying attention to uh, that I feel like is a Jurassic Park staple. Is that just attention to detail and realism? And I think Mattel had a few flubs on some of their non-film dinosaurs that I'd like to see I'd like to see those issues fixed going into 2019 and beyond I'd like to see a, a completion of the set of, uh, of things like the Brachiosaurus is completing the set I kind of want I, I want to make sure they do a legacy version of that in the grey and light tan brown so that it, it looks like the Brachiosaurus from Jurassic Park and I know that's a bit of a request it probably won't happen but uh, and also the, the Jungle Explorer. I definitely want the Jungle Explorer, Legacy Jungle Explorer. That would be amazing. I think the classic Jurassic Park Brachiosaur is more uh, more popular. And most yeah. people assume that 
Jurassic World Brachiosaur is exactly the same as the Jurassic Park Brachiosaur anyhow, um, even though they're completely anatomically different. And Someone get that head sculpt right. It's got to be the old school Brachiosaurus. Oh, yes. Exactly. The new one looks... I, I, well, I honestly convinced they sculpted it off the Papo toy. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Otherwise, what they'll do is they'll blow up the Papo head and have no problem whatsoever in using Papo's sculpt because Papo pinched the sculpt off of them in the first place and then did it badly. Exactly. And then, <laughs> the Jurassic World Brachiosaurus looks like a knockoff Jurassic Park Brachiosaurus because it's sculpted yeah. after a knockoff Jurassic Park. It's, just, yeah. it's so it's goofy looking and it's because it's so close that it's not different enough to be like, Oh, it's a new different variation of the Brachiosaurus. Okay, cool. Like the way the Velociraptors in JP to JP three were so different. It's just like, it's like, it's like, they just, they didn't quite get it. It's like, they, why why did they scan the originals? Damn it. I, I, I just got this image of Mattel scanning in the Papo Brachiosaurus, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll just repose this. We'll use this, blow it up, and there we go. We got the uh, some metallic blue on the face, and that's the Brachiosaurus." Yeah, I really hope it isn't the new boxy head, and I hope it's the the old round, cuddly, smiley Brachiosaurus. If they can put a smile on him, then that (laughs) that would be fantastic. Just that sort of cheeky smile. Funny because I I feel like the Mattel T Rex looks a little bit more like the Jurassic Park T Rex than the Jurassic World T Rex does. Um, I feel like they basically sculpted a Jurassic Park T-Rex, made it a a bit skinnier to be a little bit more like the Jurassic World T-Rex, and then gave it the Jurassic World T-Rex's scars. But I feel like the Mattel team was like, yeah, nah, Jurassic Park looks better, let's sculpt that one. And that's sort of what I get from the feeling of this. So as long as those guys kind of continue that methodology for Brachiosaurus, uh, I'll be happy. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing... Really good job all around. Uh, there are a few things that they can tighten up a little bit. Uh, I think you've all made some really good points there. Um, I love the legacy line. That that's my favorite thing to collect, and uh, I've bought the the core char- human characters multiple times over just because I love them so much. Um, and uh, that's what I really want to see expanded. Uh, JC mentioned the Explorer. I think that's an essential. You, you got to get around to doing the Explorer at some point. Yeah. Uh, more of the human characters. Uh, we know Malcolm is coming sometime. <laughs> um, but I mean, there's there's so much more they could do with that. Not just in terms of that Hammond. original film. Yeah, exactly. Hammond, Tim, Lex. Um, um, yeah. Edry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just so many other characters they could bring into that subline. Uh, and even, you know, if they wanted to expand into play sets, they could do like a raptor uh, paddock sort of thing uh, or yeah, a containment crate or, you know, there's so many things they could do there that and expand into. But uh, it, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really hopeful for things like that. But then when I see things like the Spinosaurus and the way that's been handled by Target, I get a little bit fearful that it's not those things aren't going to happen. I think the trick is, is to get rid of the legacy collection in terms of its labeling as an exclusive line and just integrate certain legacy characters and certain legacy dinosaurs into the core toy line without any individual distinction. So a retailer can't say, oh, this is based off Jurassic Park. We don't want it. That's not popular and new. But if the Spinosaurus is suddenly just under a Jurassic World label, they'll be like, oh, cool. Look at that big new Jurassic World Spinosaurus. Like, let's buy, you know, let's order it in bulk. There's no caution there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it's an abundance of information for these retail buyers that they don't quite understand the room temperature of the yeah. appeal of the product. And I think it's too much information. They think that it's an, a collector's item only. It doesn't have that mainstream appeal. 
So I think mm-hmm. that's by putting in the core toy line, you immediately uh, you mitigate that and you kind of find a compromise because otherwise toys like the Herrerasaurus, which has no film, at, you know, no film representation, or the Monolophosaurus, um, or the Minmi, or the Proceratosaurus, they wouldn't have a market at all. So right. I think by I think legacy items can just be very quietly or inorganically just shifted into the main toy line, and maybe mm-hmm. on the back of the box there could be a mention as seen in Jurassic Park, um, but it's on the back. The right. front of it, that, that's a, just a Jurassic World Dino Rivals box art. Right, and even with like older Star Wars figures back in the early 2000s, they, they were all under one banner for a little while. It was just Star Wars, and then mm-hmm. on the side of the box, there was a little banner that would say uh, the Phantom Menace, uh, the Empire Strikes Back. I mean, they could always do something like that. Do it like that, yeah. I mean, it kind I of breaks my heart way. to kind of... That, well, it break, breaks my heart partly because I don't want to. I don't want to see the beautiful artwork of the legacy packaging disappear, and I don't want. Yeah. I don't want Jurassic World to whitewash Jurassic Park. I know there's probably some contractual thing about the fact that the new logo makes the money and the old logo doesn't, so they can't use it. But you want classic Jurassic Park stuff alongside Jurassic World, and you want it to be popular. You want there to be a voice that's saying, guys, make more of this stuff, because that's the stuff that us hardcore fans are really interested in. I think the Legacy line has definitely proved that there is a huge interest in nostalgic toys over probably the newer ones. Probably the Mosasaurus is the most popular in the new stuff, and the Spinosaurus is probably more popular than that, and that's a Legacy figure. So, I mean, what does that say about the legacy line? It says that you've got to prop that side up more, really. Yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you, and I think just, but I think just representation within the core line is the best way. And I think the back of the box is probably where you can have this beautiful artwork of making it like this is Jurassic Park, this is Jurassic Park three, this is the mm. Lost World, and you can recognize each film. But at the front of the box, it's just still a core Jurassic World item that kids will be drawn to, that collectors will I be drawn to, that parents will be drawn to. Um, it yeah. is kind of funny, though, that you said you like the Legacy Collection box art. I don't. I think it looks mm. very dollar store and very kind of thrown together. Um, it just looks very discount to me. Uh, it's like the logo's at the wrong place. The logo's too small. The T-Rex is a Jurassic World T-Rex. It looks kind of cheap. Up. It just kind of looks like a, a knockoff item to me, actually. Mm, I can see um, that. I, I like the idea behind it, but the colors are kind of bland. and I mean, don't get me wrong. Right. I, don't, I want a Jurassic Park box, if I'm honest. <laughs> I, you know, when they said Legacy Line, I was like, oh, man, and they're going to uh, do the sunset, they're going to have the Jurassic Park logo, it's going to be all updated, yeah. and it's going to look really slick and retro. And I thought they were going to do the, like, you know, essentially what the, the Star Wars has done with its Legacy Line. And I was like, that would be so cool if they get it on point. And they brought out the Legacy Line, and yeah, I was disappointed. But also, at the same time, I've come to appreciate it in its own way. And I like the fact that it is just a Jurassic Park figure uh, or a Jurassic Park dinosaur. And that, that's kind of cool to, to have back. But yeah, and, and there's lots of improvements that could be made. And I'm sure Mattel will uh, re-release some of these figures in different boxes and all sorts. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. I can, I can see what you're saying. It's, it's a battle. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a branding nightmare also. The transition mm. from Jurassic Park to Jurassic World has created a brand confusion nightmare. So it, it's the unfortunate, it, it's the monster that they created that now they have to deal with. No, <laughs> hell didn't create it. It's, uh, you know, Universal's marketing division created it. 
and now they have a brand identity nightmare on their hands. And how do you solve that? And I guess keeping the Jurassic World name pretty firmly cemented, at least while this trilogy is in play, is the best way to do it. And uh, don't ever change the name again. In the future, they either need to go back to they need to go back to Jurassic Park or stick with Jurassic World, but don't change it again because otherwise it just gets more convoluted and you just have more retail confusion and uh, more retail uncertainty and brand partner uncertainty um, over what elements of the brand they want to carry forward. You want it to be consistent. Star Wars is Star Wars. Mm. Uh, you don't want it to be like, oh, do I want Star Wars or do I want Star Skirmish or do I want Star Battle? <laughs> Nobody likes Star Skirmish, but Star Battle was pretty good, even though it didn't do well yeah. at the time. Yeah, you know, really it had a really, it had a really good following. It's really well astounded, and it has good marketability to kids. Now you just want it to all be under the same label, and then you can find the items that people really react to emotionally or want. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so before we leave off, I wanted to ask you guys uh, two questions. Uh, firstly, what is the greatest Jurassic Park toy of all time, in your opinion? And uh, what is your favorite uh, Mattel Jurassic World toy so far? Uh, Steven? Ooh, favorite Jurassic Park toy of all time. I mean, it's it's weird. I think I'm going to go with, because to me, what really felt like a one-to-one translation for me as far as like on screen to in my hands was the lost world Parasaurolophus. And it, Mm. that still is it, it, you know, as far as toys go from my childhood that I'm holding on to, and I'm, you know, what I choose to bring with me when I went to college or, or when I first moved to LA, the, the, the Jurassic, the lost world Parasaurolophus was the one that I was always like, I'm going to bring this with me everywhere. I think that's my favorite. (laughs) That's my favorite, um, Jurassic Park toy overall. And then as far as the, um, as far as the Mattel line goes, I think the Mosasaurus is just so cool. It's just this huge thing. You think you could almost like float it in a bath if you wanted. And uh, it just, you know, it feels like kind of a cheeky art piece or something like that. You could just throw that like over the mantle, you know, or something like that. And it would just kind of be this cool conversation starter almost. So I think that's, those are my, it's my favorite Jurassic Park toy. And then my favorite of the Mattel line so far. Very cool. Great choices. Thank you. Chris? Um, Jurassic Park, I think the Red Rex, particularly just because of its nostalgic value. I had always carried that around as a kid. Uh, It was sort of my replacement as a pet, in a way, because I couldn't (laughs) have a dog. Um, I don't know. I just really emotionally and imaginatively connected with that toy, the real feel skin, the size of it, the playability. Um, Yeah, I just think the Red Rex for Jurassic Park really is just kind of my favorite. It's such a, a... a kind of centerpiece of the toy line. And then, it's funny, I mentioned this before, and I think that there are cooler toys in terms of play patterns, but something about the Metroid Canthosaurus toy that Mattel did just really connects with me. I think it's because it's um, it's new, it's something I've never seen before, so it's fully owned and in ownership of its own identity through the toy line. But to me, it just feels wholly Jurassic Park. The colors, the sculpt, the detail, the sounds, the, the posability, just something about it just feels like a perfect Jurassic Park toy. Nice. Even though you don't recognize it from the films, you look at that and go, yeah, that is a Jurassic Park toy. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It connects with me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting toy. It, it kind of reminds me a bit of the uh, the troll from Cat's Eye <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and uh, JC, what about yourself? Um, well, seeing as the Red Rex is taken, that probably would have been my first choice for, for Jurassic Park as well. 
Um, I have a bit of an attachment, a bit like um, Stephen. Uh, I have an attachment to the to the Triceratops from the first Jurassic Park line, mm-hmm. and I know mm-hmm. the sculpt hasn't held up that well, but it was simply because it was like a tank of a dinosaur toy. Um, I hadn't really seen dinosaur toys that were like bigger than I could get my hand round at that point. And when I saw the Triceratops in the commercial, I think they showed it like rubbing against the <laughs> rubbing against kind of headbutt, <laughs> headbutting the Jeep Wrangler. And um, that's that imagery has always stayed with me. The Jeep Wrangler, Tim being out on the little side bit with the with the snare. And then the, the the Triceratops coming in and it being huge, and that imagery has always stuck with me. The fact that the dinosaur toys with Jurassic Park were just so big and so mm-hmm. cool, and then the fact that it's got the real feel skin, again like the Tyrannosaurus Rex. So yeah, I've got a real attachment to the Triceratops, um, just because that's kind of like the first one I latched my eyes on. Um, in terms of the Mattel line, um, it's kind of halfway split between. Um, some of the new legacy stuff um, it's split between the legacy stuff and I think it's the, is it Sukumimus the blue one mm-hmm. the yeah. bright blue Sukumimus maybe yeah. I'm getting it wrong is it I'm just going to check but I think that one in terms of just design as a just a standalone dinosaur figure which I quite often just judge things as that Sukumimus is just gorgeous just a lovely complementary colour simple feels like a vintage jurassic park toy like that looks like it comes from 1903 um obviously it's much better than something they could make in 1903 and i don't know maybe not but it just looks the part i'd say so that sukumimus is probably my my new favorite mattel piece and again like steven says it looks like an art piece you could put the sukumimus (laughs) on your shelf and it looks just nice on its own it doesn't have to be attached to jurassic world or anything um, and I quite like the, it's got like webbed, uh, frill going along its back. It's got like a sort of aquatic look to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I just love it. I, I think that's just a really cool looking dinosaur. Figure. I don't own it. I should probably get one now that I've gushed about it so much. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's the one that I thought when I saw it online, I was like, wow, that's impressive. Good work guys. That's, that's a nice dinosaur figure. <laughs> Yeah, very cool. That's I love the Sukumimus. I know some people. Some people. It seems like you either love it or you don't. And I, I kind of actually love it. Um, I'm definitely in the other camp. I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks. I think it was Ted Brothers that said it looks like a seahorse uh, had offspring with a dragon. Yes. That's what resulted. <laughs> yeah, it, it really feels like a chaos effect toy with a less cartoony art style um, to me. But yeah. it feels like Chaos Effect, but realistic. I th- I really like the Raptor from the Chaos Effect line, the blue one. Mm. Um, I've always loved that. Raptor. Yeah, and it's not because it's Jurassic Park related. In fact, I'd rather it not be Jurassic Park related. <laughs> it's just because it's so damn stylized. It's so sweet as a, as a design, as a, a standalone, almost like a comic book illustration it's just so proud and loud, and I just love that about those. I, I didn't like the Chaos Effect line, but that Raptor has always stayed with me as like, wow, that is just a really cool, tight design. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool looking. Love the colors, and the very 90s looking also. Very 90s, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so for me, uh, as far as uh, for greatest of all time, in my opinion, uh, I don't know that it's the greatest toy, but my favorite personally... Uh, it's got to be the Red Rex, and it's just because of the nostalgia. It's because of the memories of you know getting it on Christmas morning, and 
you know, having it by my side essentially for the last 25 years. And um, there's just nothing that can live up to that. I mean, you can have a new toy that looks a lot more realistic and more closely matches the source material, but you can't create a new toy that's going to recapture those exact feelings. So I would say that. Um, And uh, for Mattel, uh, I kind of feel like I I do love the Legacy line. Like I said, that's my favorite of the lines that they have going on. Uh, and I love the Mosasaurus. So, Stephen, you mentioned the Mosasaurus is a fantastic toy. It looks amazing. Um, but if I had to pick one, I, I love the Super Colossal T-Rex. Uh, for the price point, it's gigantic. It looks so screen accurate to Rexy in the original film. And, I mean, it, it just the sheer size of it. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, a few years ago when Hasbro had control of the line, you never would have imagined would have happened. And here it is. I have three of them. <laughs> three of them now and uh, one of them standing standing sorry one of them standing proudly on my detoff and uh i i I absolutely absolutely love it that's cool where are the other two i have to find i have to ask where are the other two then (laughs) well one of them is uh, just the regular super colossal and she's uh, i got her from amazon she came in the the amazon or the sorry the mattel shipper box so she's in there she's staying in there until minty fresh yeah, she's just going to stay there. And then, of course, one's the battle damage. That one, I haven't gotten around to opening that one either. That one's... I'd like to do that. I don't have room to display two super colossals, unfortunately. <laughs> so she's staying in her box for now as well. They could uh, cool. they could guard the front of your place like two lions, you know, gracing the entrance. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like that. Totally. That's cool. <laughs> so before we depart, uh, any final thoughts that anybody would like to share before we leave? Yeah, actually thinking about it with the Mattel line, I really like the Triceratops as well, um, mainly because there's a mirror of what I said about seeing the, the large Triceratops Jurassic Park toy. That is like a really cool updated version of that. I think the coloration's off by a bit, but the sculpt is really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful sculpt. It is. I would love to see a grayish, sort of bluish... Jurassic Park actual like authentic coloration on it. And I would yeah, love to see me too. It, and I'd love to see it bigger because it is a bit small. It should be about the size of the Stegosaur. Um, yeah, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Would love to see them uh, redo that one. I mean, it's it's a great toy, but uh, I agree. She seems a little small. I don't know that it's actually. <laughs> I mean, when you look at it next to the Stegosaurus, I don't know if it's the Stegosaurus. It's big. I feel like in the Lost World they were huge. Um, but when you stand your Alan Grant figure next to Triceratops, it seems pretty close. So I don't know if it's just a perception thing or if okay. it is, in fact, a little small. But definitely a great mm. toy. Absolutely. Um, so uh, one, one more thing I wanted to add here, and I don't know if anyone else feels similarly, but uh, when I was a kid and, you know, dealing with the Kenner toys, uh, you know, of course, you have your characters like Tim, who has the snare and, you know, uh, Alan, who has the atomic bomb <laughs> for some reason. Um <laughs> I always envisioned uh, seeing these toys. Uh, I always imagined in the film, we see it ending where uh, our heroes depart in uh, the helicopter. Uh, I always imagined that the toys were kind of like a thing as if, uh, as they were in the helicopter, they said, you know what, wait, these toy, these dinosaurs have escaped. We need to go back and fix the situation. They turned the copter around and went back. And that's that's what the, the toy line essentially feels like to me. Yeah. It, it does yeah. feel like an alter- alternative sequel. Uh, it feels like both the events of Jurassic Park and then an alternative sequel are kind of developed in the toy line. It's an expanded 
it's an expanded non-canon universe, which I love. Yeah, absolutely, Agreed. love it. And I would love to see that kind of brought to Mattel. It's like just expand the story. Let's not have twenty different Owen figures. Let's oh, yeah. <laughs> let's create new characters, new backgrounds, new names, and let's go crazy with it and just have a hell of a lot of fun and uh, invoke our imaginations. And then you know you can bring a new Owen as a squad leader of this <laughs> team of misfit, weird commando dino vet warriors yes that, that'd be really cool but hopefully before they get to that point they do give us henry Wu. they give us hammond and henry Wu. yes hammond yes. Yeah, just us uh, the list goes on we could be here all day yeah yeah but yeah <laughs> and also if they're doing hammond can he actually have a transparent little sphere as the amber egg i don't want it to be painted orange <laughs> oh yeah yeah it would have to be transparent for sure so you know you want it to be a natural little amber cane. Yes. <laughs> yes. That'd be great. Well, guys, it has been a fabulous chat. Uh, before we part here, uh, can you each of you tell our listeners where they can go to follow your great work on the interwebs? Thank you again, Victoria, so much for having having me, having all of us. This was so much fun. I'm going to go play with my toys right now after this. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you can always listen to See Jurassic Right Um on wherever you listen to podcasts um it's c jurassic right or sj sjr pod on social media twitter and instagram and then you can always follow me at stephen ray morris on all the things and yeah it's 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 a fun show for just sharing your memories and and kind of how our how our childhood brains have processed our favorite movie of all time into adulthood so um awesome that's it uh, you can personally follow me on Twitter or Instagram under Chris Likes Dinos. I'm definitely very active on Twitter, um, not so much other social media platforms. And then, of course, uh, everything with uh, Jurassic Outpost. I, you know, JurassicOutpost.com and all of the Jurassic Outpost social channels. I um, quite a bit of the postings, uh, social postings, and so on are from myself. Um, and there is occasionally a podcast. I think it might get back into motion. It just kind of died out because none of us really liked Fallen Kingdom. And nobody <laughs> wanted to really talk about something they didn't like. Um, so it's gone into a hiatus. And I think it'll come back. But uh, yeah, there, there are many, many ways to play. Um, but no, there are, uh, there's a, you can find me all over the place. Sort of like the crew from The Lost World in the boat. Um, and uh, yeah, that's... Yeah. Very cool. Uh, you can find me on uh, the Jurassic Collectibles YouTube page. It's Collectibles with an A. Apparently, that is an authentic spelling. <laughs> yeah, there's two um, ways to spell it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? I was lucky there. It could have been a misspelling. <laughs> and um, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook as well. Um, I'm quite uh, mouthy on Twitter, so please forgive me if I'm spouting. Uh, hate at uh, Jurassic World it's, don't take it personally it's just because <laughs> I like Jurassic Park a lot more so um, yeah you'll find me all over the place awesome well again thanks so much guys this has been a blast and I'll have to get each one of you back on the show again sometime love yeah, that. Thank you yeah. for having us. I'd love to yeah thank you it was a lot of fun alright thanks guys thanks take care thank you thanks What a fun chat. That'll do it for the 32nd episode of the Cantina Chatter podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank Stephen Ray Morris, Chris Pugh, and Jurassic Collectibles for taking the time to chat with me today about the 25th anniversary of the Jurassic Park franchise and our favorite toys that have come out in that time. 
We all love this toy line so much, and it's been great reminiscing about all the great JP toys we grew up with. Here's hoping that the wonderful work Mattel is doing carries forward for a very long time to come. Be sure to check out Steven over at the See Jurassic Right podcast. Look up Chris on Jurassic Outpost and hit up JC over on YouTube on the Jurassic Collectibles channel. I will place links in the show notes. As always, Victoria's Cantina is a labor of love. It produces YouTube videos, the show you're listening to now, the Cantina Chatter podcast, the Discoveryland podcast, and a variety of toy news and photography throughout social media. For as little as a dollar a month, you can gain exclusive access to Victoria's Cantina through Patreon. This includes exclusive YouTube toy reviews, access to a private Twitter account, giveaways, and much more. If you can't become a patron, no problem. You can help out Cantina Chatter by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two, and this will help to increase the show's visibility. Be sure to follow Victoria's Cantina on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in to the Cantina Chatter Podcast.